when you first got to the varsity football team at Lamarck, who was the first person to bust your butt? Or what was that welcome to varsity moment where someone showed you this was a whole new level of competition? Well, I don't know if I have an exact welcome to varsity moment. Um, you know, I, I moved to Lamarck uh, and didn't play football for my first couple of years there. And I, I didn't play football until the start of my 10th grade year. I didn't play my ninth grade year. I basically got into off season at the end of my ninth grade year. Uh, so my first real football memory at Lamarck is uh, playing scout team defensive end early in the season. I'm the, I'm the left defensive end, and uh, I think I know what I'm doing, but I don't really know what I'm doing. And uh, and, and the offense runs the varsity offense runs a play at us, and I see the running back who's in a red jersey coming at me, and it looks like I'm gonna get to not tackle him but touch him because he has a red jersey on. I think I'm good and gonna make a play. And a guy named Greg Robinson Randall whose nickname was Big Greg. That was his name. Yeah. Uh, he, he pulls on on what I now know is a counterplay that I have no idea what that was. He pulls on a <laughs> counterplay and just decleats me, man. And uh, it seemed like one of those deals in the movie where you're flying like 10 feet in the air and everybody is oohing and on. And I kind of look up at him. You know, I'm on my back and I kind of look up at him and, and he picks me up and pats me on the head. And uh, I go back to the huddle. But uh, that that was my first like, hey, this is football. Uh, this is uh, not the sport that I, I was comfortable with baseball. This is not the sport you're most comfortable with. So yeah, you yeah. got some learning to do, buddy. And uh, I'll never forget that. And, um, you know, Greg went on to have a great career and uh, do a lot of great things in the college and the NFL level. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's kind of cool that I get to say that he really uh, whipped my tail there for, for a while when I was just a young puppy. It always feel like I need one more bar and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more bar and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more bar and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy Alright, welcome back to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast This is episode number 47 We've got a very special guest today with a guy I've known for a very long time Heck, I was even a part of his wedding We coached together at Clemens Boy, he went off to learn that old split back beer option at Terry but I know from playing many a night of Madden of this guy back in the day, he's a gunslinger at heart. He is now the head football coach of South Houston High School. Welcome, Patrick Longstreet, to the show. Man, thank you so much for having me, Coach Kobo. I, uh, of course, I'm a fan. Listen to all the episodes. Been a lot of guests that I, that we've crossed paths with you yep. and I both. And uh, man, this this really this really hits home for me and goes way back from a coaching and teaching standpoint, but from a personal and friendship standpoint too. Absolutely. And if you're a part of the team player movement like Coach Longstreet is, please please make sure you've given us a five-star rating wherever you're listening. That helps so much. Yeah, the more ratings we get, every time someone searches for a sports podcast, more likely we're going to show up for them. And so we've grown this thing from nothing. I mean, this is just me in my office. I don't have a marketing team or anything, but we've already got 46 reviews on Spotify, 25 on Apple Podcasts. So that's pretty good. So let's keep it growing, please. Word of mouth. That's how we grow this thing. Uh, so please leave the rating. If you want to leave a written review, I read those on the show. So you can re uh, leave those. 
hit the follow button to subscribe and get a new podcast in your uh, in your queue every single Sunday. We'd be honored if the Team Player Podcast made it into your rotation. I'm your host, James Kovaleski. Please follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo, K-O-V-O. All right, here we go, Coach. I can't wait to dive into this. You were born <laughs> in Houston, but then you moved to California when you were a kid. I don't know if I knew that or if I maybe I'd forgotten that. And then at age 11 in the sixth grade, you moved back to Lamarck, Texas. And that's what I that's where I kind of start knowing about your background and you would spend the rest of your childhood there. So I guess, first of all, just kind of describe that move, that that transition going from Texas all the way to the West Coast and then back again. Sure. So, you know, where I was initially born and raised uh, before I moved to California is pretty much um, along the what was not there, the Beltway. If I would have stayed there, I would have actually went to Willow Ridge High School. Okay, wow. stayed in that okay. area. So uh, my dad was in retail at the time, so he got a job in California. So we, we make this big move. And, um, you know, from basically probably for me from second grade, third grade to sixth grade, so it's probably three or four years. And um, it was different. We actually lived in Reseda, um, which Tom Petty sings about. It's kind of where the Karate Kid movie was kind of made. So wow. it, it was very different. I, I can tell you from my standpoint as a, as a child, like in California, there, there at the time, I don't know if there is now, there were no middle school sports. So when I got back to Texas in sixth grade, my brother was in seventh grade and he's getting to play basketball and track. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know you could, you know, we didn't know you could do that. We, it wasn't, it wasn't, a, it didn't exist in California. So uh, it was different for sure. I think once you leave Texas and you come back, you, you figure out how much you miss Texas. And, and I was kind of too young to know what I missed, but uh, I'm sure glad that, that we made the trek back. And um, my grandmother at the time actually lived in Texas City. Um, and she helped us find the house in Lamarck so my parents wouldn't have to come from California to actually find the house for us. So she helped me find the house. Uh, uniqueness there is Texas and Lamarck so big rivals. I, I was probably very close. I'm sure my grandmother looked for houses in Texas City first. Um, but the, the house that we end up getting was in Lamarck. And uh, I get to go to Lamarck High School and um, tons of memories there and such a uh, special place with with at the time, but still story traditions uh, from those times. And uh, uh, we're a little down right now over there, but uh, my, my buddy Wade Oliphant just got the head coaching job. And I think he's going to bring us back up the roller coaster and the, and the Coons will be back. Yeah. Now, now tell me that town you mentioned in California. Is that like Los Angeles area or what? what yeah, it's Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Reseda yeah. is like the county. So it was, it, it was okay. actually in Los Angeles. Yeah. It was actually very cool. And then let's talk about that, that, that rivalry of Texas City. And I mean, it's a big one. So uh, first of all, I want to ask, what was your what was your record head to head uh, against the Stingerees there? Uh, lost once. So uh, my, my sophomore year, uh, I was on JV. With, yeah. uh, so three years I was at Lamarck and uh, we lost one time and it, and it was my senior year. It was oh, my wow. senior year we lost. And uh, that's the year that both schools won state. Texas City and Lamarck both won state. That's the year that um, the, the first year that 4A became split to Division yeah. One, Division Two. Uh, Tech City was a Division One representative. If my memory serves me correct, they beat Corsicana in the state championship. We were the Division Two representative, and uh, we beat Denison in the state championship. So, Denison, um, wow, Denison. Small, the Yellow Jackets. Yeah, yeah. I went to school in Sherman, or right up the road. Uh, right, yeah. up, right. So up actually, the the three championships that Lamarck won in a row, it, all three victories were against Denison. So it was very cool. We played each other three years in a row. 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's other rivalries too, right? Galveston is a big rivalry for Lamarck. Yeah. They still play the first game of the season. That's called the Clash of the Causeway. Uh, so yep. Galveston's a big rivalry. There's other towns in that in that area, Friendswood and Santa Fe and Dickinson, uh, that that Lamarck has always played. I think most of those towns have now outgrown Lamarck. Um, but yeah, it, it was a special time and a, and a special place. But uh, yeah, I'm proud to say I do have my baseball coach here is uh, from Texas City. He's a Texas City guy. So uh, we go back and forth all the time about Texas City, Lamarck, the Stings and the Cougs. And uh, I've got a winning record, football and baseball. So I'm good. <laughs> That's awesome. And as far as the lead up to that week, I and mean, we talked to Coach uh, Cirillo Ojeda about the, you know, the, the, the uh, Pasadena uh rivalry you know with Rayburn and, and things of that nature so for you on rivalry week as a student he told stories about you know like like you see in the movies like you know like don't do this anymore but like burning the mascot or like you know sure. you know stuff like that I mean did, did you guys do stuff like that man there were stories uh I can tell you personally I did not take part in those stories yeah. but there were <laughs> stories of you know, Tech City guys dropping off a, a cat in our at our field, and uh, <laughs> one of our guys catching a stingray and putting it in their field house. There were stories like that. Yeah. I never personally saw it, um, but for sure, I'm sure, uh, probably even before my time, there was really uh, some stuff going on. You know, it was, it was a little bit different, different society, different world back yeah. then. Yeah, so I'm sure there's some stuff going on, but uh, you just knew around school, just like you do today. It was a special week, you know. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this. Uh, Coach Waddell would would always wear a, a Texas City shirt, you know, just to kind of uh, yeah. fire the guys up. He he was really great at that. But um, I, I'm sure there were the, – I, I always remember pep rallies and things like that. So uh, everybody in town knew it was going to be a big game. But, I mean, honestly, every game uh, was, was like that right. because it was such a strong uh, football community. So at uh, at Lamarck, you're you know Lamarck. Just for listeners that don't know, it's about 45 minutes southeast of Houston, down I-45, in between Dickinson and Galveston. You went to Lamarck High School. You played football and baseball. That's the thing. You went you went on to college to play baseball, but so football. You know, you you mentioned you picked up you picked it up as a sophomore, I believe you said. So kind of right. late there. Uh, you're coached by Alan Waddell. He's a big sure. character. I actually met him last year. He's now uh, an AD out there in uh, Brazosport. ISD and they were looking at a new video board and were considering Dactronics. And I remember I brought up the name Patrick Longstreet. After all these years, he's oh yeah. And he he, he made a joke about your height. He said, I used to I used to always look up to him and say, Hey Patrick, how's the weather up there? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh man, uh what a tremendous uh leader, what a tremendous coach Coach Waddell was. He's in the uh, Texas High yeah. School Coaches Hall of Fame. Uh I don't know how many victories he's had he has. Uh, a lot more than I'll ever get to, I'm sure. Um, right. But to me, what you just said, that story is what made him special because, uh, look, I was not a, a marquee football player. We had guys that uh, yeah. were going to Texas A&M and Texas and uh, all those places. And, and I was not that guy. I was uh, very, I felt very proud and special to be a part of the program. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't, football was not my first sport. It took me a while to catch on. Um, but when you talk about learning how to be a part of a program and a team uh, and and really being coached, uh, that's what Coach Waddell did. The fact that, you know, these years later, not, I'm just proud that he remembers my name, you know, just because uh, I wasn't one of those guys who he depended on to make plays uh, on Friday nights, to be honest with you. But uh, it's what coaching is all about, man, right? Yeah, relationships yeah. and uh, relationships. And, and he and not only him. 
uh, but his staff was just tremendous at that. You look at that staff that that I was blessed to be even coached by, Tony Heath, Pearland High School. Uh, Mark Knipes is now at Brazosport. He was at Santa Fe. Eric Wells, Dawson High School. Uh, so just so many coaches off that tree uh, that have gone on to do uh, such great things. Uh, Leland Servick, who's now at, at Texas City, uh, was a was a, a young coach there. Yeah. So just so many coaches. And the, the thing that I, I really took from those guys is the relationships, man. It, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if you were the, the star tailback or quarterback or you were Patrick Longstreet, who was the, the four string defensive end tight end. Uh, the relationships were the were the glue that that held that program together. Well, you know, you, you it's funny. We look back as coaches. It's it's really when we look back at the players we remember, they're not always the stars. I mean, it's, it's, that's also a testament to you. There's probably something about the way you carried about your business. And you mentioned you were just proud to be a part of that team. I'm sure the coaches could pick up on that and they loved you. You know, for, seriously, like you said, for him to remember all these years later and tell me that story yeah. was pretty freaking cool. You know, man, it's it's it, it is. And it's special now when you go to conventions and things like that. And yeah, I'm be, I'm blessed to be a head coach and uh, right where they were one day, uh, where, where they were at one time. And a lot of them still are. And uh, I don't consider myself their peers at all, but they treat you that way. So that, yeah. man, that's what's so special. And you kind of you're kind of downplaying, you know, your, your football ability and say, oh, I'm just fourth string. But really, because you, you are a baseball player. I mean, yeah. people that don't know you, you're a six foot six lefty. So, I mean, I think that's I'm sure, you know, on the mound is where you found your most success. You did continue to play college baseball. But let's just talk about um, before we go on to your high school baseball career. So just again, to verify, you did win a state championship as a player at Lamarck. Yes, yes. at Lamarck, at Lamarck. Yes, sir. Uh, well, man, you, it you, was. Yeah, no, you before we, you, you've become the fourth player, the fourth uh, alum, alumnus in team player podcast history to have won a state title as a player. Man, so you're you, going to you, join Carmen Solis Martinez, won a bowling state championship at Pasadena. She's okay. the head volleyball coach for the Pasadena Eagles. Carlesa Dixon won the girls' basketball championship at Dallas Lincoln. And your good friend Chris Fisher won a football championship at, at Waxahachie. I always got to catch myself. And, I always want to say Waxahachie. Fisher, uh, I, I heard the episode, and Fisher was a few years uh, before us, but you put Fisher's Waxahachie team, which I remember that time. That's when I'm growing up, and I remember all this wax. Every year, even at Lamarck, Waxahachie would go deep in the playoffs. Right. You know, in the, in the late 90s. Um, yeah. So I, I would be interested just, uh, on a free time, we'll, we'll, I'll call Fisher and we'll look at some stats from his team and, and our team. And I'm sure it'll have been a great matchup, but uh, it did it did put a smile on my face when Fisher got to talk about those days because it's very similar to some of the stuff that, that I went through for sure. And no doubt, and before, you know, before I cut you off, you're about to start explaining, I just want to hear what was it like that run to state? And the one thing I, I asked Coach Fisher, when did you know? You know, I kind of asked him, I was like, because, you know, was it something where you knew coming into the year or is this you got hot at the end and you started really rolling? And Because he, he tells a story about how they were doing like kind of like a summer, like gut check workout. And it just, it kind of just appeared to them like, hey, we're, we could do this. And you know, so I'm curious, I, what was it like for you? So I'll be honest, that, that's what got me into football, Lamarck, is because I'm a freshman in eighth grade. I start really seventh, eighth grade. I start going to the games and watching and everybody's yeah. there. And then uh, they're winning. And they're making it to the third round, the fourth round. And for a while there, it was AM Consolidated. And they had a, a Ross Rogers. And they had a guy named Jeff Watson who went to Baylor that was knocking Lamarck off. So, but the tradition and the, and the every year we're going farther and farther. And that's really got me saying, man, I need to be a part of this thing. This is special. Yeah. Um, but you're also talking about, you know, winning, 
winning three state championships in a row, Lamarck did, but they also coached, they went to six state championships in a row, which yeah. at the time yeah. had not been done. I know there's some schools since then. So it, it was, I just got to tell you, it was an expectation. It really yeah. was. I yeah. think the most, I think the special year was the year that Texas City and Lamar did win it because we lost a few games in district. We lost to Texas City. Uh, we lost to Lamar Consolidated. And oh, we wow. Were actually, yeah, yeah, we were actually the fourth place finisher in our district. Wow. We were the fourth okay. place finisher. Um, but once those playoffs hit, man, the, the, those guys, and I'm saying those guys that played a whole lot, they, they turned it up a different level. Yeah. And I, I remember specifically, uh, I think the, the motto of the year was back to back and yeah. we were the fourth place finisher. And I remember coach Waddell saying, we're not saying back to back anymore. We're going back to our famous thing was Cougs take state. So okay. he, we're not, we're not saying back to back anymore. It's Cougs take state again. We're back to square one. And man, when those playoffs come, you just, they just hit a different level and we hit a different level. And for me, I was more of the practice dummy, right? I was the guy yep. that was showing the, the opponents, what, what plays the, the Denison and those guys were going to run. But we coaches always, know how important those guys are. Oh, for sure. It was yeah. always Denison in the championship. It was, uh, it was Corpus Christi, Cal Allen. And we played them five, six years in a row in the state semifinals. Uh, you talk about some wars, man. Um, so I, 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 it really, for me, it wasn't a, Hey, this is really going to happen. It was an expectation. It was an right. expectation. And that, again, that all goes to, to the players, but it also goes to coach Waddell and the staff. Awesome. So then, you know, like you, like we said, you really made your mark though, as an athlete on the diamond and, and but also like, one thing I do <laughs> want to say is, is the, we know the, you know, you, you call yourself a practice dummy. Again, you're just so humble, but we all know how important those players are. You know, so I'm curious for you, does that help you as a coach since you had that experience on the football side? Yeah, absolutely. You know what those kids are called? It is what those kids are called. Program kids, right? Yeah, that's what those kids are called. Program kids. And sometimes those program kids as seniors end up starting for you. And sometimes they stay as the backup left tackle or the backup linebacker uh, and they help you a little bit here and there. Uh, But uh, they're valuable to the program because. They do the right things in the classroom. They're always there. They're dependable. They're yep. accountable. And, and those are guys we want in our programs, right? So uh, for sure, I didn't know that at the time, but that's the kind of kid I was. So I didn't know that at the time, but um, those kids definitely add value to, to every program for sure. And so let's, let's, now let's, let's move over, fast forward into the springtime down there in Lamarck, Texas in, in the late 90s. And what, what was your baseball experience like at Lamarck? Uh, we weren't as good as football, that's for sure. Um, right. But uh, we did make the. I think in my in my four years total at Lamarck, we made the we made the playoffs one time. Uh, but we competed for the playoffs every single year. I, I know yeah. my senior year we missed about one game. Um, so we competed for the playoffs every single every single year. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it's just like any other sport. You have up and ups and downs. Personally, uh, I never was a guy who threw the baseball really hard. I mean, I'm 6'5", so if I was throwing 90 miles per hour, I would have had a a much bigger, brighter future. Uh, But I was the type of pitcher that could throw the ball anywhere I wanted to at any time. So there was a lot of – there was a lot of – the coach had a lot of great uses for that, for sure. Um, But, you know, it's just – it's – it's something that I did when I was, when I could walk, I put a ball in my hand, a glove in my hand. So it always was kind of natural to me. Um, and actually coaches, it's what I got in this business to be. I've I, I gotten this business and I wanted to be a, a head baseball coach. Right. So I, I know you got a question coming later about, you know, when you go to college, you know what you yep. want to do. Yeah. But 
I got in this business to be a head baseball coach and um, because it was my passion and my love and football was always there. I think that fire was always there. And then as I started coaching more and more football, that fire started to grow and grow. But let's just dive into that, though. Let's just dive into that. So I always ask the question and it's kind of interesting, you know, coach, I keep the stats. Uh, 65% of my guests, which are guests that are winning award, you know, they're, they're winning coach right. of the year, 65% of them, when they started, when they stepped foot onto their college campus, they did not think they were going to be a coach. They, they didn't, right. they were doing something else. And so sure. I'm curious for you, is it that you knew you wanted to coach, but it was baseball or was it, or did you want to do something completely different when you started college? So I, I knew I wanted to coach. I did. I okay. went to college knowing I wanted to coach and I wanted to teach, um, you know, of course, you can say, oh, I'm going to co- I'm going to college. Maybe I'll get drafted. Uh, I, I went to an NAIA school. There's not a ton of guys that get drafted out of NAIA. It was about my I knew I, that was my plan B for sure. Um, and after about my freshman year of college, I was like, look, this needs to be plan A <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> because I'm not getting drafted. And um, and. Uh, I really knew I, I, I uh, my dad was a history buff, so he, he kind of passed that on to me. So I know I wanted to teach history. I knew I wanted to coach. Baseball was my love. I wanted to be a head baseball coach. Uh, my fifth year of college, I got to be basically the, the student assistant, uh, but I got to run the whole program. Uh, the, head oh, coach wow. let, the head coach okay. let me and my roommate at the time uh, run the whole program. Was, he's actually my DC here now. Uh, we, awesome. we ran the whole program. So it kind of gave me that taste of coaching, right? Um, so, uh, it, it was easy for me to know that's exactly what I wanted to do. Um, but again, I did when I started in 2003, I want to be a head baseball coach. That's, that's what my goal was. How fast can I do it? Um, and I moved to varsity baseball right off the bat. I only spent a year as a freshman baseball coach. I moved to varsity, had great experiences, great, uh, teams and, and was able to climb that baseball ladder pretty quickly. Um, is actually when I came back to Texas, uh, or came back to Houston, sorry, and went to Clements, um, which I know we'll get to, is is when football kind of took a different level than baseball for me. Um, sure. So I tell kids all the time, you might know what you want to do, which I did. I knew I wanted to teach and coach. But if you would have told me in 2003, hey, you're going to be a, a 6A head, head football coach, I would have said, you mean baseball? Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> But here I am, and man, I wouldn't uh, like everybody. A lot of people say I wouldn't change it for the world, man. It's so funny, coach. Just like my good friend Jimmy Hammond, he was in your position at Seven Lakes High School. Yes, yes. Same story. Phil Dober, another good friend of mine, the DC at Seven Lakes. You know, same. I, I just, I've been really impressed with these guys that come from a baseball, thinking they're going to be baseball, but they're, they just kill it yes. on the football side. So I mean, it's you're not. I guess it's rare-ish, but it's you're not an anomaly. I mean, I know several guys that have, have made right. that transition. So there's something right. there for sure. There's something there. Sure, sure. But let's talk about your college experience real quick. You went to Houston Tillotson University, which, again, I had also not heard of. But you said you had a few offers for baseball coming out of high school, most for junior college. And then you also had Houston Tillotson, NAIA, out of Austin. It's an HBCU, historically black, black college and university that you had never heard of, but a school that offered you the most money. You did know two guys that were already playing there, so Austin became your new home. Let's talk about that, because I have a similar, like Austin College, I had never heard of, where I sure. had gone to school, Division Three. So a lot of us, we had that experience where, you know, we maybe we dream of going playing football at UT or A&M or things like that, but, you know, once, once the dust settles, we realize where we're going to fit in. What was that for you? What was that like for you? when you first started having the coaches from, from, from Houston Tilton reach out to you? 
So, man, you know, my story is, uh, you know, Lamarck is really close to Galveston. My my pitching coach at the time had an end in Galveston. So he tells me I can go to Galveston Junior College, uh, which was really good at the time. Brandon Backey, uh, you know that name for the Astros. They were really good at the time. Um, I had a coach at North Lake Junior College in the Dallas area reach out. Um, and I was really interested in them. Uh, but I was going to live with grandma if I went to North Lake. Uh, and at 17, 18 years old, I wasn't really excited about living with grandma, uh, <laughs> bless her heart. But um, so Houston Tillerson reaches out uh, and they find a, a tape of me. This is a VHS tape, Coach Kova, of me pitching against Texas City, actually. Um, so he reaches out and I go visit and it's in Austin. And I, I know a couple of guys that I had played with on some travel teams were were playing there. Um and uh, it was a good opportunity. It felt like, you know, people say when you go these visits and you go visit places, you know, when you know. And and I knew it was a very small school. So my classroom life was not much different. The sizes were not much different than high school. Yeah. Um, and because I played baseball, uh, the teachers knew that I was going to be gone and not there. And they really helped you get your work done and, and gave you that extra time you needed. Um, so it really was a comforting environment for sure. Um, I, I was a minority there, but nobody treated me that way. I, I couldn't tell. Um, and I, I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, and Alvin Moore was my head coach. He, he passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, but, uh, what a tremendous man to, to bring me in and give me an opportunity. And, uh, like anybody does in college, I know you did at Austin college. You just meet so many different people from all walks of life. Well, for baseball, we had we had guys from the Dominican Republic. We had guys from the Virgin Islands. Uh, we had guys from all the way down to the border of South Texas, Laredo. Like you, you met so many different guys that you still are close with and in contact with today. Um, the, the baseball chat on my phone, man, it blows up during baseball season. These guys just texting all hours of the night about, you know, I'm the only Astros fan on there. So they're always <laughs> razzing me about the Astros. Um but it really was a great experience. Not one that, like I said, I knew that I wanted to, I was going to go to the major leagues or things like that. But you're talking about uh, charter bus rides from from Austin to New Mexico to play baseball games and eating McDonald's two times a day, uh, one for breakfast and one for dinner after the games. You know what I mean? But uh, it was a life that that, that I love, man. It, it was really it was really a, a sweet experience and I wouldn't change it for at all. You know, and you grew up in Lamarck, which I mean, I can only, I, I, I imagine it was very diverse, you know, at the time. Sure. You know, you're just yes. body there. And I think that's a huge plus. I went to Fort Ben Austin, was also fairly diverse. I'm not, you know, not, not maybe not as diverse as Lamarck at the time, but I think that's such a plus for kids. And I know now that, you know, we have a son, he's eight months old. We've decided, you know, we live in the kind of the Heights area now, but we, we're going to move to the suburbs like many families do. And we, we settled on Katy and we're, we're going to be in the Katy high school zone. And so obviously, besides the championship pedigree, one thing that really attracted me to that place was I, the diversity. And I talked to people and asked what the student body is like. And they said sure. it's really diverse. And I think that's that's awesome. So for you, you you took an let's face it, you know, most white guys don't go to HBCUs. Sure. You know, was that something at all that was when you were making that decision, did, did it give you pause or were you just like, hey, I, I'm used to diverse environments. This is going to be great. I mean, well, I'm curious to make that decision to do that. What, what was what was your thought process? Man, it, it, not, not, not one second did I have pause, you know, I know yeah. different pe people grow up different and there's different ways to grow up and it doesn't mean it, the end result is going to be any different, but I did grow up in a very uh, diverse background. 
Um, and, uh, so it didn't give me one, one, uh, bad of an eye to say, oh no, should I go here because it's an HBCU? Not at all. And, uh, people are people, man, people are people. And when I walked onto that campus, uh, the people were people and the, the, the kids were great. Uh, and I wasn't the only minority. There were Hispanics, there were other whites. Um, there were, like you said, Dominicans and, and, and things like that. So, but the majority were African-American and, uh, man, I, I was totally comfortable and totally in my own skin and it, it didn't, it didn't bother me. Not one bit. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I TSU, you know, is our, you know, local here at Houston. I, and sure. I have a player from Aldean, Ja'Cory Howard, who's an excellent running back there. And I, I love when I can go into, I, I always make sure to go at least one per year. And I just love the environment, the band, oh. the pageantry, just, just the, the energy in the stadium. I just love. You know, so I'm really glad you got to experience Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And see, we didn't uh, we didn't have football. Oh, so okay. uh, we were in AI and we didn't have football. So I remember my freshman year in the bookstore, I brought I bought my dad a shirt and it said uh, at, they're now Houston Tillerson University. At the time, it was Houston Tillerson College. So okay. it said HTU football still undefeated. And man, my dad loved that shirt, man, because, we, you know, we were 0-0. We never had football yeah. and still do not have football. But um but also being in Austin gave you that because of uh, University of Texas and you had Concordia right across the street from us in St. Edwards, the, it, it gave you the college town experience that really, I think, uh, a lot of kids are looking for when they go to college. And so, Okay, so, you know, it may not have been the same without football, but I mean, as you're seeing the resurgence of HBCU football, with Coach Prime going to Jackson State and kind of right. seeing more resources and money and NIL and things of that nature kind of pumping into these programs, I'm curious of your thought. I mean, was that kind of like uh, inspiring to you or something you, you were proud to see as, as an alum of an HBCU or? Oh, for sure. Like I said, we don't have football, but for sure. Right. I mean, you see what, what uh, Coach Prime does, Dion does. And uh, and when you watch the documentaries and stuff and, and when you go to HBCU, all that is, you know, it kind of hits you in the face there and you see some of it, some of the lack of resources and things like that, at least sure. compared to the bigger schools. Sure, sure. sure. Um, but uh, so it, it makes it something that you, hey, hey, we kind of experienced that. So, uh, but yeah, it is it is awesome to see and great to see. And I, man, look at the look at the Jerry Rice's and all those of the world. The yep. HBCUs have been littered with with uh, professional players all along. It's great to see somebody like uh, Coach Prime bringing more light to it for sure. Absolutely. So one last question I have for you, Patrick, kind of about your college experience. A lot of times I see kind of kids these days, they might turn their nose up at schools that they've never heard of. You know, when these D3s from Iowa or Nebraska or whatever start approaching sure. them, they've never heard of them. They, do you see some of that? I, I know I've heard some coaches kind of talking about sometimes families or, or athletes. They they want the big offer, right? They want to be able to put the, put the cap on at the signing table of, of the big power five school. But we both were in that situation where we went to schools we had never heard of and we loved our experience. And so I'm curious, you know, for you, again, you have that experience, like you said, as a scout team player, you can pass that on to your players. You have that experience now as a as picking a college where you went somewhere that you'd never heard of, but it was great. And so I'm curious, are you able to pass that experience on to your players now? Do you see any of that kind of turning up their nose and not returning calls to smaller schools? And do you try to counsel them that maybe that's a mistake? Yeah, no, I, I don't I don't think it's uh of course all of our players you've been in this chair, all of our players want U of H and sure and, you right. know what I mean, Texas A and M and things like that. And that's just not a reality, especially in today's world with the transfer portal, which is a whole other episode probably. Right. Um but uh they all want that. So so what I do is I do share my story with them and I, I tell them 
you know, what it's like. And, and there's so many opportunities. I have a belief as a head football coach that at, at, in Texas, at 5A, 6A, 4A level, if you can be a contributor on your team, a starter on your team, there is a college out there that you can go play football at. It might not be in Texas. It might not be in Texas. You might not have heard of it, but there is a college out there that will take you. That's how good Texas high school football is. Uh, and I tell all the guys that, and, you know, um, I've got a couple of guys. Last year, we sent three kids to Iowa. Uh, to Buena Vista University and never heard of it. Uh, they, yeah. I would get pictures from the coaches every pregame with those three guys. Uh, and he talked about how big of a part of a team they are. Um, awesome. And uh, my very first year here, a kid named Torrance Stevens was our quarterback. Very, very special player. Uh, he goes to Northwest Oklahoma State Division II school in Alva, Oklahoma, nine hours away. Never heard of it. Coach reached out, a guy uh, named Anthony Whedon became the OC, reached out to me on Twitter and said, hey, where's your quarterback going? And I said, he's still looking. So I take him up there nine hours away. There's nothing there, Coach Kobo. There's nothing yeah. in the town. It yeah. is a college town. That's it. It's the type of town where there's a Sonic and a gas station. Um, and four years later, he's fixing to graduate. He's got his extra year because of COVID. He wants to be a coach. Um, he's been all conference. Uh, he was freshman of the year. And those are the those are the stories that we love, man. Those are the the things that hey, that football can navigate you and help you find uh, a different path in life, or or even the path that you really thought you were going to have, but just maybe not at the school you dreamed it was going to be at. Absolutely, I love that. So then after college, you started coaching in Bastrop, Texas. You spent two years at the junior high, really cutting your teeth, so to speak. So again, another kind of unique experience I think that's helped mold you into what you are today. And then, well, I guess before, let, let's talk about that. We, we've had a couple coaches that started in the junior high. Cyril Ojeda pops to mind. He's the head football coach at Aldi, an excellent coach. And he mentioned that he said that the junior high really helped mold him. He always tells the funny story of the one first day he's running drills and there's a fumble in a drill that he's doing. And, and the kid just stands there looking at the ball. It's like, get on the ball, get on the ball. And the kid just doesn't understand. And so he, he finally he yells it again, get on the ball. And the kid sits on it like a mother hen. He sits on like <laughs> hey, he's a mother. Hey, he didn't understand. And, and Coach Hannah, we, we just love laughing about that sure. story. Hannah says like he it really opened his eyes. Like hey, some of these kids, these terms like get on the ball or you know square your hips or whatever it is, they, sure. they may have no idea what that means. So your experience coaching at the middle school, and again your personal experience, you were new to football. At the at, yes. you, know, you were new to football, guys. So yes. can you? How did that help you become who you are today? Starting off at middle school instead of jumping straight to high school. Man, it was perfect for me. It was perfect for me. So uh, I worked for a guy named Mickey Mixon at Cedar Creek Middle School, which was in Bastrop. Bastrop had two middle schools, Bastrop Middle School and Cedar Creek Middle School. Um, so we were more of the rural school. Um, and I worked for a guy named Mickey Mixon, and we had four coaches, and we did every sport, and we did everything. Uh, we had a block schedule, so the kids came for an hour and a half, 15, 20 minutes every day. So uh, if you had athletics that day, if the seventh grade had athletics on an A day, then the seventh grade would practice for that hour and a half. And then after school, the eighth grade would come practice. So it was vice versa. Uh, you know, and you're right. I, I was new uh, to football. Uh, Bastrop ran the wing tee. So we ran the wing tee. This is old school wing tee football. You know what I mean? Uh, so I learned plays like belly and dive and uh, toss. You know, we were a big toss team. Uh, and it really... Uh, taught me football, man. I, I think the, you think, you know, football, you know, you think you play a little bit and, and you think, oh, I play video games. So I know concepts and, and things like that. And I know when to go forward, when to punt it, but you don't know football. And, and, you know, I remember sitting in those meetings with the high school coaches and him drawing up plays and 
drawn up defenses. And I remember very vividly, David Halbrook was the head coach, great, great coach, great man. And he's drawn up lead. And how do we block lead if it's a five technique to, to if it's a four eye? And it was a basically a Tim or a Tom call. We going in and out. And he asked me, Coach Longstreet, and I'm sitting in the back like, oh, he just asked my, he just said my name. Coach Longstreet, what is this going to be, a Tim or a Tom? Kovo, I had no idea. And I guessed Tom. And he said, you're right. And I was like, yes. <laughs> but uh, you got you to gotta go through that, man. I think you got to. It's not for everybody, but it, it really helped me go. It really helped me. And I can tell you as a head coach, when I hire a guy who's coming from the junior high, I know that he's put in the work. Uh, and he might be fresh faced and not know everything that he needs to know at the time. But if you if you coach at a junior high, uh, you know what it's like to work. Yeah. yeah, you know, you know what it's like to work. So uh, really, really great experience there at, at Cedar Creek Middle School two, uh two years at the junior high. And again, baseball is what brought me to the high school. I did. I did junior high football. I did junior high basketball. I did junior high track. As soon as track is over, I go to high school baseball. I volunteer my first year. Uh, head coach welcomes me out. My second year, I'm on the on the staff as the freshman coach. And then my third year, he brings me to the high school. The baseball coach go tells Coach Halbrook, hey, I need Coach Longstreet at the high school to do baseball. So I get a freshman football job. And I get a, uh, I bet by this time, I'm varsity baseball. And baseball helped navigate me to get to the high school. I do freshman football for a year. Uh, the quarterback coach leaves for a different job. And Coach Halbrook calls me in and says, you know the wing T offense. You've been doing it for three or four years now. You're going to be the quarterback coach on the varsity level. And I'm like, whoa. And, and I did varsity football and varsity baseball there for my last three years and uh, loved every minute of it, man. We just, you know, we had three different coaches in three years. Uh, Coach Halbrook left. We got Ron Schrader from Westlake, uh, the great Ron Schrader, the, Drew Brees and all those guys. Yeah. Yes, sir. He, he came out of retirement to coach for a year. Uh, he only did it for a year, um, but learned a lot from him. He was pro style offense, you know, uh, some wing T philosophies, but it was pro style offense. And, and then he left after one year and there was a third coach coming in. And that's when I said, uh, maybe it's time for me to look to go back home uh, to go to Houston because three coaches in three years as an assistant is tough, right? We know how it works. Head coaches come in, they bring different people in. And sometimes the guys that are there, you know, get knocked down a peg. So the guy that was coming in at the time was not sure he wanted me to do football. If he did, he wanted me to do defense. And, uh, and I, I was just, I just figured it's a great time to look to go back home. Um, and and there lies the uh, Clemens Rangers and uh, and James Kovaleski and uh, <laughs> and all those characters. Hey, and I'm going to tell this story. And all, all of our Clemens guys that listen to this, they're going to laugh. But I, I remember meeting you for the first time. You were kind of intimidating. At least it's least <laughs> me. I mean, I don't know how I laugh. Because you, know, you, you were real quiet, man. You just kind of stayed off to yourself. You know, you're new. But, like, I was like, man – this guy's like, hey, so could be further from the truth, man. You're, you're one of the greatest guys I've ever met. But <laughs> So let me tell two quick stories about just, and I know we're going to talk about Clemens, but two quick stories. First of all, when I interview, I go yeah. meet Coach Knowles. Y'all are coming off of a summer workout and you're coming off that far field over there. And here yeah. come all the coaches. And Coach Knowles comes in and introduces himself. And I'm watching all you coaches coming in. And it's Kevin Bird and it's Bobby Darnell and, and all yeah. those guys. And here comes you, and you've got long hair, almost down to your shoulders. And I'm like, look at this guy's hair. And then here comes, and then here comes Easy, and Easy's got longer hair than you at the time. Yeah. And I'm like, 
what's going on here? Like, who are these guys? Uh, and man, did I did I even know that you were going to be two of my uh, dear friends yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I get hired. Coach Knowles hires me. I'm, I'm uh, very grateful for that. Great man. Uh, and then we go to coaching school. And uh, I come up to coaching school. And I don't know if you remember this, but we're it's in San Antonio. We're staying at a premier hotel. Premier. And Bastrop, man, we stayed in the suburbs. It was out. It was cheap. And we're staying in the premier hotel. I'm not getting paid yet. So I'm like, man, I got to scrounge together my dollars here to pay for this hotel. Yep. And and then we have our coaches meeting the first night in the conference room of the hotel. And Bastrop, we went to clinic and we went to meetings, but we went to a lot of other places during coaching school. And we're here in a football meeting the first night. And we've got pizza in there. Yep. And we're going over progressive blocking and progressive tackling. Yes. And I'm sitting back, Coach Kobo, I'm sitting back. And, and I've just been hired to do uh, sub-varsity football. And I'm coming from varsity, but uh, I was a quarterback coach, you know. And a wing tee quarterback, you just got to know footwork and how to hand the ball off and run bootleg and waggle, and you're good. Yeah. And I'm sitting back listening to this pro progressive top tackling and blocking. And I'm like, man, I am in over my head. These guys are serious. And yeah. I was so nervous. Uh that first that first coaching school like man I don't I haven't done this before like I don't know it kind of reminded me back to that first meeting in Bastrop where the coach asked me Tim or Tom I'm like man I don't know what I'm over my head here yeah, but yeah. man what a <laughs> what a great place dude I, that's funny I, I remember a story like you never want to get paired up against Barry Campbell was, was Barry still there when you got there no you? Barry left Barry left uh, when I went, when I was there the guys doing the progressive blocking and tackling were Duhon. It was Ben Duhon and Kevin Bird. Those were the guys up there showing and, and demonstrating the progressive. And they were popping each other in the chest now, Kobe. You know, that first one, you right. shoot your fingers up. They were popping each other now. And that's kind of one of them. Like, Whoa, what are we doing here? I, I feel like I remember my first year because Barry would really roll those hips and put you <laughs> and lay into you. So, um, but you're right, man. I'm thinking back to it. You know, kudos and, and credit to Coach Hume, who was kind of like the leader of that whole yeah. tree. And just – the detail like for me that's all i knew but for you coming from the outside maybe maybe not not every program really goes that into detail on the fundamentals of football which is blocking and tackling so and i think that's that was a big clements was never known for being a place that was loaded of athletes but suddenly this 13 right. and 1 team comes comes along and i mean i think a lot of that has to do with the attention to detail on the fundamentals right right no absolutely and uh and I'll say, I told Coach Know this in my interview, uh, when I interviewed him, I think it got me the job, and I still believe this today. I think as an assistant coach, you have to be somewhat of a robot, and a robot to where you have your own personality, but you are listening to those higher above you, and you are repeating what they're saying. You know, it's kind of like as a head coach now, we we get in the meeting room, and we're going to do this on defense. Well, when my coaches go on the grass, and we go on the field, we want to all be speaking the same language, right? Uh, and that's kind of what I told Coach Knowles, and I, and I think that got me the job. But the attention to detail, you're right, was great. And those that was the Clements kids' strengths, right? Their strength was attention to detail. I've heard Fisher and Bobby talk about those things, knowing exactly how to, the blocking progression and, and what my rules are up front. I, I, was a, I was a freshman offensive line coach, you know, and, and knowing those rules. Um, the only thing different for me was Clements was the first place where we, where we swapped the line. So 28 toss could have been to the right or the left. That was different. In Bastrop, it was – the, the evens and the odds and it was right or left but so that it took a while for me uh because I was the B team play caller my first year and I would call uh, I would call left 28 toss run the one toss to the weak side and then I figured out oh we're running to the to the boundary still <laughs> but 
but yes, the, you're right. The attention to detail. And again, that's what those kids were great at, man. And, uh, you know, I, I did that for a year. And then my second year, uh, I, I, my second year you left coach, you left and me and Chris Correjo go up to do the JV. Um, and we did JV football together. My first year was me and easy and Chris and Cooper as the freshman coaches. And then you, you leave with coach Sniffin and, uh, Chris and I get to go up and do the JV and uh, we had a good JV team, man. Clements always had, and I, I'm sure they do with Coach Darnell, they always had good sub-varsity teams because at those levels, you can really compete with those teams just on fundamentals and techniques. Yeah, man, no doubt about it. So, you know, a total of two years at Clements, you mentioned Knowles, Easy, Bobby, Sniffin, Bird, Fisher, Correjo. I mean, all these great names, great times coaching football. Uh, you know, you said great times coaching football with me, uh, Correjo, yeah. Grim, Grim Spot, the G unit. The G spot. G unit, Grim spot. Now, Grim well, spot. And of course, Masik, you put an exclamation point. Masik, or we used to say Masiki. Masiki, the great Masiki. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Aaron Masik. I think he's a big time track coach now, isn't he? He's a big time track coach. I know you went big out to Del Valley. Uh, I don't, with Coach Burton. I, I don't know if, I, I kind of lost touch with Aaron, but I think I, that's where he was last time I talked to him. I think he was. Uh, hey, another name that's a team player alum, Jason Campbell was there. Campbell. Yeah. Jason Campbell was there. Um, and I, I remember, I think I put this in the notes, me, you and Correjo, we would grind on the computer, man, on yep, the, on the early, I think it was DSV back then. It wasn't huddle. Yep. And we would grind on the computer on Saturdays and Sundays, putting in the different formations and the fronts and the blitzes and things like that. And again, man, it, it helped mold me to be a better football coach for sure. Man, I'm drawing a blank, but were you there for the, the guy that was ex pro wrestler? Oh, Rich, Richie Guerin. Is it Guerin? Richie Guerin, yeah. Uh, he was always you remember, a... You remember when he would walk in the office, Bird would start playing like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Or <laughs> yeah, Rock. there's a to break. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, man. Were you there for Were you there for Jay Elliott or you had left? Had you left? I think we I got, left. Yeah. We got Coach Elliott from Kempner, and yeah. Coach Elliott comes in one day and uh, the first day, and he brings in his own chair to the office. And everybody's in. You know the Clements Fieldhouse, Coach, it's skinny, right? And everybody's yeah. in there, and he brings in this big king's chair. So it's basically, this is the time in Sports Center when LeBron's on Sports Center. He's sitting in his king's throne on yeah. the Sports Center commercial, and he had that chair, and Kevin Bird just wore him out, man. <laughs> Good times, man, in that field house with all those guys. Last thing on Richie Guerin. Richie Guerin was the king of the guy that when, yeah, we had the computer portion of our job, but we also had the laundry portion of our job and hanging up game jerseys. And so whenever we moved from the, you know, the helmet room where we we're doing our computer yeah, work, right. like equipment room, that takes a while too. But Richie would just be telling all these, all his oh, old US stories, and it, that helped his <laughs> time pass by. He, he was a, oh awesome for sure, character. for sure. He had a story about Hogan or Macho Man, yeah. or he had yeah. them all. Man, he had them all. Yeah, it's yeah, a story about Vince McMahon, all that kind of stuff. But uh, oh, that, was yeah. oh. that was a fun thing about that. Were, were you there for Jason Parsons? Oh, yeah. I got a year of Parsons and his impersonations and his, I, the George. The I got a year. I got a year of Parsons. Yeah. I got a year of Parsons for sure. And uh, I wasn't there, but Parsons, uh, Parsons impersonation of, was it Ken Aiken? Coach Aiken. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who coaches the linebackers? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Great stuff, man. That Great was, stuff. And that, that was the fun thing about Clemens. And I, I know Coach Campbell kind of mentioned this, and you're kind of mentioning this. From an outsider coming in, th this was my first coaching job. So I kind of just instantly right. absorbed into it. That's all I knew. 
But for an outsider's coming in, a lot of them tell me there was something really special about that Clement staff. Like you mentioned, like playing the Stone Cold Stunner, uh, Stone Cold right, Stunner right. at the time that Garen walked in. Or I remember they would do funny little like PowerPoint, little funny things to make oh, fun yeah. of people. Put, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I remember – yeah. Oh, the games we used to play in there to kill the time, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the yeah. the foosball. You remember the foosball table yeah. in the garage? There? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the first staff that we did an all-staff fantasy football draft on. Yeah, yeah. Um, in Bastrop, I had some very close friends, some very good coaches, but it was more like two or three coaches over here, two or three coaches over here. Clements was that first staff that it was everybody, man. Yeah. Everybody was in. Everybody went to the coaches' socials after the – it, it was really everybody and it, it was a family and and I'm sure that started with coach Hume I wasn't lucky enough to work for coach Hume he he left and Knowles took over um but even even with Knowles and and Bird and Easy and those guys man it, it really was a family and then also besides all the football success you had great baseball you got to work with you know our the late great Easy De Los Santos and you made a run to the state tournament so can right. you describe what that season was like so I, I have more memories of that season than I even do when I was like, when we were talking about Lamarck and going to the stakes. Yeah, yeah. Man, what a time. He, he, before Easy was Herb Espinosa, Herb was a great uh, baseball yes, coach at, yes, at, at Clements. Yes. And Easy takes over his first year as head coach is my first year. So I was Easy's first hire. And I was just a freshman coach, JV coach. And I helped him with the varsity. You know, you all do everything in baseball. And uh, the first year, we didn't have a lot of success. We didn't make the playoffs. And Easy really did some soul searching, man, between himself and the other coaches in the program, guys like Grimm and Correjo that were there with yeah. us. Uh, we really did some soul searching. Now, how do we get Clemens baseball back? And just the second year after the first year of not making the playoffs, in Easy's second year, uh, he came up with a slogan that said, play like a ranger. Uh, and it was based on the history of Clemens baseball. And, man, uh, when I'm telling you we got hot in the playoffs, I, I think we finished second in district that year. Uh, but when I'm telling you we got hot in the baseball world, uh, beaten um, uh, Stratford, who was really good, beaten um, Memorial in Spring Break that was on uh, Spring Branch that had Roger Clements' sons that were really good, beating all those teams and making it to the state championship. Man, what a time. What a time. And uh, it's uh, we, we fell two out short. I don't know if you remember it or when or women, but we, we had to leave. Yeah, I drove out there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We had the lead in the seventh, and, and we fell two hours short. And you're talking about football, baseball players, Austin DeSalle, Ross Stiffelmeyer, yeah. G.R. Hinesley. Like, these kids were warriors, man. And um, and as a time, I'm a coach, and I'm still kind of young, and I'm thinking, this is easy. We'll be back the next year, or I'll get a chance another year. And coach, in any sport, football or, or, football or baseball, I haven't been close to being back, so – uh, you got to relish those times, but man, uh, like you said, uh, rest in peace to easy man. And, uh, what a great guy. I really would say, uh, one of my dear friends and gave me an opportunity at Clements and, and helped me, uh, move on to Terry and even helped me get the job at South Houston because the AD and easy coach baseball together. Um, so I wouldn't be sitting here today without easy De Los Santos for sure. And, uh, really, really inspired me and helped me become a better coach. Yeah, just to talk about Easy for a moment. I mean, Easy was one of those guys. Just and it makes me happy to think back, you know, and remember. Sure. Easy was one of those guys that just he was just one of the cool kids. Can't say it any other way. He just yeah. had that that swag about him, man. It's the way that he yeah. moved, that he talked. And 
I was that was not Coach Kobo. Like you said, I was right. long haired, weird. You know, I was very reserved at that time. A very kind of tight. You know, like uh, I don't know. Sure. You know, sure. I was really, I was kind of shy, I guess, or, or something like that. And he was always so nice to me, man. He would always like just talk, you know, hey, 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 Kobe, you know, how's it going? You know, whatever. And I appreciate that. I mean, like I said, I remember, I distinctly remember one night after after a game, drinking a beer uh, with Fisher and Bird and Easy at one of their houses. And I mean, I, it took me like three hours to nurse one Miller Light. I mean, that, that's how uptight yeah. I was at the time. Like, yeah. I, I wish, you know, as much fun as we had on that staff, I wish I could be more like I am now, years later, after beating my right. Ruth Art. And I'm, I'm yeah. sure Easy. <laughs> a little bit, but. I'm sure Easy was telling you, Kovo, go out tonight. Go do something. That's some, exactly what he was some, doing. Go meet some ladies. Like, that's that exactly was just what he was doing. And he was, he was the life of the party. But Easy yeah. was a dang good coach, man. He was a dang good coach. And yeah, I know sometimes the baseball and football lines get crossed and things like that. But uh, Easy was a dang good coach. And, because he was like you said, the cool kid, and all the coaches wanted to be around Easy. All yeah. the kids wanted to be around Coach yeah. De- Coach Delos too. It was Coach Delos, right? That was him. Uh, I remember he he taught over there, right? Right, and you were in the social studies department. It was me, you, Easy, Mary yeah. Harrison, Coach Correjo. <laughs> hey, here's another name. I just saw him a couple weeks ago. Brian Harris, who's now the, the assistant AD, girls basketball coach at Barbers Hill. Um, but even in department meetings, Sniffin was in there. You know, we had the rule. No coaches ask any questions. If you asked the question, Coach Sniffin was going to get you. <laughs> I love seeing how angry Brett would get whenever someone <laughs> And another it funny thing, uh, Jason Parsons, the First Nation, Doc Stray. Remember that one? Oh, time? yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're about to get out of it. He goes, I got a question. Oh, yeah. I just remember that if you ask a question in a meeting, Sniffing and Delos would just tear you up. Especially, not on the football side of it, but if it was the teaching side That's, of it, yes. you wait till after the meeting and you go ask your question to uh, Mary Harrison or whoever it was. But um, yeah, man, uh, again, just, just that whole thing. Great, great family atmosphere and great community over there at uh, Clements and and I know Bob, the great Bobby D is keeping it going. Well, Bobby D is definitely keeping it rolling. I mean, he's Man, what, yeah. coach of the year, two straight playoff appearances. No how doubt. How you how you described Easy being the cool kid, and everybody want, that's Bobby D too. That's they're they're D. the same person in a different body, man. What what great oh, yeah, about it? Hey, but you know, I do want to give props. You know, starting of Coach uh, Espinosa and also through Delos, like the uh, Clements to me had a lot of guys that played football and baseball. I, like, sure. I think more than yeah. average. I mean, you mentioned yeah. those guys like Diesel and uh, Hensley and Stifflemeyer. And I know before that, before you came on our, like, really good team, you had guys like Reed Curry, who was, like, one of our star yeah. alignment, yeah. was also a great on the baseball team. And several of those guys, you know, all did that. And it so, was always it was always yeah. a good mixture, for sure. What do you think that is? You think that that's coaching? You think that that's the head coach setting? Like, what what why is it like that at Clements, or, you know, and, and not everywhere else? Like, what, what are the factors that, that lead to that? You know, baseball and football is one of the, those. It's that it's that sport that traditionally don't really go together, right? Because baseball for the for the longest time has had the the summer schedule, and and guys are doing summer baseball, and they don't go to summer workouts, and and they're afraid they're going to get hurt, and this and that. I mean, I can tell you, the football coach, if there's a kid that plays baseball and he wants to play football, let's go. I will do everything I can. I got I got three varsity guys now. I think that are that are baseball guys and, you know, during the off season, if they have a baseball game or the baseball coach needs them, man, you take them, you take them because uh, baseball is a hard sport, man. I don't know if you saw Dion's interview from the other day, asking what was harder football, baseball. He said, baseball by far. 
Hitting wow. that fastball with a ball coming at you is the hardest sport. So if you can play baseball, you can play football. You know, there's room for you. So any baseball players, I, I welcome with open arms. And I think Herb and Easy, they did the same thing. And at the same time, Hume and Knowles and those guys knew how valuable those guys could be to the football program. So we're always a little bit flexible with those baseball football players. I love what this you, – you might have dropped one of the best gems in team player podcast history, how hard it is to get back. And I feel like my career is just such a sterling example of that because my first ever year of coaching, we went 13-1. So I was so spoiled to be a part of that incredible team. And as fate would have it, my last year, we went 0-10. Yeah. And so I just think it just sums it up so perfectly, like the, the ride that we all go through and how hard it is to win. And it's, so, uh... yeah. It's, you know, and I know there's a lot of schools that have been blessed, you know, the Katie's of the world, the South Lake Carroll's of the world, the Allen's, um, but it's tough, coach. It is tough to get to the playoffs. It's tough if you're yeah. in a tough district. It's tough. And to win a playoff game is tough. So it is, man. It's it, don't don't take I, we as coaches, we always remember the losses more than the wins. But I'm trying as I get older in this game, I'm trying to remember the wins just as much because they're tough to come by. And last thing, you know, you mentioned at the end, we always talk about your favorite athletes and everything. You know, you're Houston all the way. I, I, I'm wearing the Rocket, the old Rockets, red and red and yes, yellow. Yes, sir. Best Rockets jersey right there. Because I got to talk about you and me on the basketball court, man. Oh, there we go. <laughs> you mentioned Brian Harris. Oh, could it could put it in the, could put it in the basket? Could yeah. No, when you think about it, we had you at six foot five. We had Kubasek at yep. six eight. We had Brian Harris, a good six four. He can Brian Harris can fill it up. I don't know if people realize oh, Brian oh, Harris. Oh no, he can shoot the rock. Yeah, we had Jason Campbell at the point guard. Yeah, I don't know how we, and because we we entered a faculty team into the Clemens Intramural Basketball. None of those students had a chance against us. I mean, no, it was no, 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 no. <laughs> and, and we even went it farther. I remember us playing with Brian in um, where uh, in Telfair, we would go to a little gym in Telfair there. We would play with him some nights, me, you, Brian, and Kubasek, um, against other just like guys our age. I remember you keeping it going after Brian left at the second Baptist League. Yeah, me, we finally Kubasek. won it one year. We finally got the chip. Yep. Albert. Albert was on that team. Uh, is it Jason, your other friend, that was on that Head coach was one of our star players. Yep. Oh, man. Very he couldn't club. come every time, but when he came, yeah. we were going to be okay. Right, we were right. We going to be okay. And, uh, <laughs> No, hey, uh, one of one of Kimmy's first times coming to watch me do anything was my wife was was at the Second Baptist League and she didn't know That's any right. of you guys and she didn't know me but she was like y'all do this yeah we do it of course we do. <laughs> That's so, what I knew yeah. Kimmy was a keeper, right? Yeah, That's right. That's right. Well, there were some there were there were some other reasons, but <laughs> that was one yeah. of them. No, Kimmy's great. I know, and I know she's a, she. Well, we can get to it. I mean, she reminds me now of Tammy Taylor from the Friday Night Lights. The school with you and she is just number one fan. On just, I, I love her posts on Facebook, just supporting you and the program and the kids, your kids getting to be involved. So, but let's yeah, continue oh. your flowers. Let's do that. This is well-deserved. Let, let's take a moment. Cause I actually got to, I was there, you know, we, we were buddies. We used to be young and single and going to wild west and trying to, yes, sir. Stuff, you know, but then you <laughs> met Kimmy, you know, your world all changed, you know, so just let's give Kimmy, let's give Kimmy Dusick Longstreet her flowers and just, and just talk about how important, you know, she is to, to your, your role as a coach, you know, I mean, a coach's wife, people talk about all the time. And it's a lot of man, sacrifice, you, a lot of time. So what, what's that been like? You, you gotta have it, man. I don't know what, I don't know what this role would be like if you don't have it. You gotta have that person that you can call at the drop of a hat. I mean, you got your coaches, right? You got your coordinators, but 
after hours when you're at home, oh man, I, I forgot to do this or I got to do this and, or, or something like that, you know, um, just the support is, the, the support is always there. And it's, it's great to see your wife or who your family after the games, whether it's a win or a loss. Now for me, my kids are in the locker room doing things like that. That's fabulous. But, um, you know, I know it's a later question when we talk about some quote unquote famous people, but Kimmy was raised in football. Her dad's a football guy. Her brother's a football guy. Um, her family's a football family. So when I started dating her early on back in the, I'm living with, with coach Kovo and we started dating and it was when she, there, there's some girls who, who don't want to be a coach's wife or a coach's girlfriend. And you know what I mean? And she took to that role immediately, man. And, um, and your coaches will tell you, I, I dated Kimmy and went on a few dates with her. Our, our probably first officials date was at a GHFCA social. I go right. back to school Monday and my coaches say long street keeper, keeper. Yes. Like yes. your coaches will tell you they, they know. And, um, it, it's been such a blessing. I love her to death. I, I would not be here, uh, w without her, without her support, without her strength. And, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. You went through it for a while. I went through it for a while. Neither of us got married extremely young. You know, right. it took us the, it took us a, a little bit to find that, that perfect match, that perfect blend uh, right. to be the better half. And uh, I'm sure they want to knock us in the head some days, uh, but more days than, than not, they're, they're there for the support. And, and, and Kimmy's a great example of that. And man, I, I hate to say it, Kobe, I know it sounds corny, but I'm, I'm I got a wife that, that works with me uh my kids get to grow up in the football program and i'm i'm living the coach's dream man you know what and i mean we don't talk too much about relationships but i mean uh, you know we're talking about coaching but like we're human beings right yeah. i mean yes, we're coaches but also we have our personal life and so it is sure. so important to find that partner you know and so if there are young coaches listening that are single because i remember the coaches in the office always razz me oh come on Kova, why are you still single Just, yeah somebody at the, at the produce section of the grocery store. I'm like, come on, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I, like you, I got married later, but it was just finding the right person. Luckily we both did that. Now we're both parents, you know, both fathers. And, um, you know, it's as easy as you got to find it when you're dating, you got to find somebody that, Hey, I got baseball practice till six 30. You, you want to do dinner at seven 30 or, or eight 30 right. or eight o'clock. You know what I mean? It's as easy as that. Or, you know, it's, it's Saturday. What do you want to go do? Well, I'm going to the office first and, and we'll catch up later in the afternoon or at, at night, you know what I mean? And, and they've got to be okay with that. And if they are, that's, that's a great start. That's a great start. I think my moment of really just loving Kimmy, you know, is we, we were, like you said, we were roommates and I remember one of you had a baseball game late. And so Kimmy came up, we're just waiting for you to come home. We're playing like Mario Kart or something. I'm just like, this chick is so. I, I think y'all were doing the. Uh, I think y'all were doing the dance, dance game. Dance. Yeah. That's what it was. Dance dance revolution. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. and so yeah. she she's just I, great. But let's tell this yeah. story. This is funny. This okay. is funny about your one of your first date, and you think you know football, and she brings up who her dad is, and it was like oh, it's yeah. a little bit before your times where you didn't know. And the, tell this story. So so our first dates at Papa Cita's. It, it's still right. our favorite place to go. Our first yeah. dates at Papa Cita's right there across from Reliant uh, now NRG. And, uh, and we're there and we're talking and we've met before, but never been on a date. And we start talking and everything. And she knows I'm a coach. And, you know, she says, well, my dad was a, a football player. And I said, oh, okay. And I'm thinking high school, maybe a small college. Sure, and she sure. said, no, he played for the Reds, for the Washington Redskins. And I was like, really, what's his name? And she says, Brad Ducey. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm probably 27 at the time. And I'm thinking, 
I'm a, I'm a good football coach. I know every football player. Like I've never heard of this dude. Like, I don't know who this dude is. And I go back and, and I'm, I'm living with you at the time. And I go back to, to the house and, and Google this guy. And I'm like, Holy smokes. You're talking yeah. 12, 13 years with the Redskins won a Super Bowl. You're talking uh, Texas A&M. You're talking Dave Campbell's magazine. Uh, I found a chat room in my first search. I found a chat room of an old football chat. And it was like, name the best five players you've ever watched play. And there was a guy on there that had Brad Deuce on the list. Yeah. And, and he's on the list with, with Earl Campbell. And I'm like, holy smokes. Like, this is this is crazy. And um and again, that was just one of those moments like, hey, this this girl is for me. <laughs> this girl is for me. And uh, what what a great uh, what a great family the, the entire Dusick family is. Her dad played at AM. Uh, her her older brother, her oldest oldest brother played at AM under RC Slocum. RC Slocum was a GA when he was when her dad was playing there. Um, her dad played under Gene Stallings. Come on, man. Um, and then uh, she has two bro a brother and sister that are twins. They both went to AM as students. Kimmy was the only outlier that did not go to AM because she got a basketball scholarship and she played at St. Mary's University in, in uh, San Antonio. And last thing on the, you know, as, as we wrap this portion up, your wedding. You did it at yeah. Midway Park. What for an old baseball head like you, that was just oh, it was man. a really cool experience. So for anyone, can you just give maybe someone is 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 engaged and thinking about venues? Can you just talk about what it was like so, and it made. So like a lot of stuff for me, man, I looked into it, man. We had season right. tickets at the time. We were, we were just engaged. We go buy a 50 game pass. And this is when right. the Astros are bad. They have Altuve and that's it. We're losing a right. hundred games a year, but we got great seats cause it was cheap. Right. And uh, basically our, our, um, our season ticket rep, she would do certain things for us to help us out and, or, or just give us a certain experiences. So, one day they're playing the Red Sox with David Ortiz and Manny Ramirez. Okay. And she said, Hey, y'all come sit down right behind the plate. And we go sit down there with the big wigs and, and she's sitting there with us. And Kimmy's talking to her, Hey, we're looking to get married. And she said, you should get married here. And I kind of hear that. What? Like, really? So we were going to get married at the top of union station uh, at right. the very top there. Uh, but it was a January wedding. So Kimmy was really worried if it's cold, we're, we're uh, screwed. So, uh, they start looking for different areas and they look at the sweet area and how they can move it out and separate it and make it for a wedding. And uh, there's not too many people. I'm proud of this fact. There's not too many people that say, Hey, I went to a wedding at a baseball park or a football That's park. Awesome. Like, um, and, and, you know, the whole stadium is empty. So you kind of get that empty, quiet feel there. Um, some of the lights were on, some of the lights were off. There's a, a picture here in my office of me and Kimmy standing in, in front of the or up on the suite level looking down at the field and it's kind of halfway lit up um it was different it was different but you know what that it it it, it uh explained our relationship and, and our marriage to the team man no doubt and, and, you know you got your coaching start at clements but i feel like you really advanced to the level where you're at now where you can say that you're, you're a 6a head football coach i think you really earned that experience at terry that's I think sure. that's where you really leveled up and evolved to the next level. That was your opportunity to coach varsity again. You were there from 2012 to 2018 of the last four years as the offensive coordinator. You said when you first got to Terry, not knowing the beer option scared you to death. But then two years later, you're calling the plays. <laughs> so just yeah. Hey, just, yeah. just like those same days of the stories I told, I, I go in and, uh, you know, Terry was a chance for me to go back to varsity. You know, at Clements, yeah. I, I took a lesser role. Um, not that I wasn't, uh, didn't need to do that because I did. Um, 
But Terry was a chance for me to go back to varsity. I get hired as the tackles, tight ends coach. I'm varsity baseball again instead of freshman JV baseball. I'm working for Tim Takel. Uh, and everybody has heard, everybody in the Houston area has heard Tim Takel stories. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I was nervous. I was nervous. And and this was the first year they had just put in the beer option the spring before. Um, and we had some really good players, man. We had some really good players. And uh, as a young coach, I hear beer and I said, oh, man, that's just old school football. Like, I, I don't know what that, you know, wing tees old school, but beer is old school football. Um, and I'm like, man, I don't I don't know what that is. And, and nobody's running this and you can't go, you know, find a lot of tape on it to study it. And I'm nervous. And uh, but I think just like I talked about with Coach Knowles, my coaching qualities of, of being dependable, being accountable, being a good robot and listening to how Coach Takeo spoke and and Lewis Horton, who was the first offensive coordinator there, Richard Lazaro. Richard Lazaro was a running back coach. Listening to those guys talk and explain it, soaking it in, and being able to to teach it and coach it to the kids. Uh, it it really. Um, we don't run the veer at South Houston, but I, I I love it still. I love it still. I'm a fan of it. And you, when you have a team that doesn't have as many kids as everybody else, when you have a team that maybe have a few athletes but not as many as everybody else. Uh, the option can be an equalizer for sure. I, um, James Gage uh, at, at Alvin, I know he was on runs. He runs the flex bone, um, but the option can be an equalizer for sure. And uh, I grew to love it. And I mean, you said I, I was there for two years as a position coach. My second year, um, I'm in the booth with the OC and uh, our quarterback gets hurt. This, we're good. We, we end up going to the third round this year. We're good. We're, we got some dudes. And a quarterback breaks his collarbone first game. And we put in a, our second string quarterback and he clearly was not ready to play. So we put in our running back who ends up being a, a all conference safety in North Texas. We put our running back to quarterback. So the OC looks at me and says, I'm going down on the field. So I'm the only offensive guy in the, in the room now with the headset. And it, that, that stayed like that all year long, all year long. It was just me up there and I'm talking to the OC and the O-line coach and I'm just coaching Kobo. I'm just coaching. And uh, the offense coordinator, uh, went to Willow Ridge with Coach Last. Coach Last got the Willow Ridge job, and, and our OC goes with Last to Willow Ridge. And uh, I'm in my classroom one morning, early morning before school, and Tim Tegel walks in the door and says, uh, have you thought about being our offensive coordinator? And I was like, whoa, no. And he's like, uh, you got the ability to do it. And that's when the that's when the moment really switched for me to from baseball to football. That's when it happened, and uh, I interviewed with Coach Tegel, and the defensive coordinator at the time was Steve Tebow. He had a lot to do with me becoming the offensive coordinator. And uh, it was a, it was a, something that I didn't go there looking for. It, it kind of fell in my lap, which uh, certain things do sometimes. And I'm glad they do. But uh, he just said, this is a special offense. You know the offense and you can teach the offense to the kids. I want you to take it. I want you to make it your own. Um, and we did. My first year, we, we made the playoffs. Uh we lost to Texas City with the Foreman brothers. I know you played those. You battled those guys when you were in your Rich Point days. We yeah. lost to them round one, and I thought again, oh, playoffs, first year, this is easy. Next year we're two and eight. The next year we're three and seven, and we really had to work and grind and uh, working with guys like Nick Cavallo and Jacob Scott and Darnell Jackson's now the current head coach there. Uh, we grinded and, and got them back and, and had a couple of successful years before I left. I remember going to one of your games with Kimmy, and I remember you had a star tight end, if I recall correctly. Yeah, um, well, we had a, we had a receiver, Derek Griffin. But that was, yeah, Derek Griffin was a stud, Griffin. Um, and he was the one of the best 
uh, high school football player, basketball players I've ever yeah. coached. And uh, he, he played at Texas Southern and both both sports at Texas Southern. And I believe he's still in the, the G League uh, for basketball. Ah, okay. He's still in the G League for basketball. Um, and what a what a uh, tremendous athlete. But we did. Uh, Terry was a little bit like the situation I have here at South Houston. Uh, we were undermanned, but we had a few athletes for sure. We always had somebody that could that could run the ball. That's for dang sure. And we had kids that were not afraid to get after it uh, for sure. And uh, those are the best type of kids to coach, man. Speaking of lineage, you know, you mentioned your baseball staff. I'm going to back up with one second just because it just popped in my head. All four of that, all four coaches under easy there, they're all now head coaches, right? Yeah, yeah. Correjo, Correjo is the head coach at? Uh, Correjo was at Katie Pato, but he now has uh, he's taken an assistant job at Foster, I think, to be closer to his family. Oh, I see. Okay, so he was the head coach, and then Grimm yeah. is the head coach at Travis, I believe. Yeah. Now yeah. taking over Coach Hernandez. And then um, – who am I missing? Oh, yeah, you, you and Easy. So, yeah, all, became, yep. yeah, you all became head coaches. And then yep. similarly at Terry, you mentioned Coach Cavallo, who's now the head coach at George Ranch. Yep. Uh, you mentioned Coach Laz, who was a longtime head coach at Willow Ridge, really did a great job. It won a playoff game over there. Yep. And just yep. that was a high point, you know, for Willow Ridge. Um, you mentioned Cornelius Anthony and Darnell Jackson, but Cornelius Anthony has taken over Hightower, and they they had Ridge Point on the ropes this year, you know, Man, and so, so they were really rocking and rolling. So real fast, Coach Taco taught me how to be organized as a football coach. He taught me how to run a program from day to day with organization. You talk about details and yeah. pregame meetings and player meetings and organized practice plans. And every coach better have a whistle and a pen. And if you don't, you're going to get you're going to get uh, chastised for it. Uh, coaches not standing around talking to each other, coaching. He was tremendous at that. How to organize and run a program top-notch, top-notch, uh, and very grateful that he gave me the opportunity. And his last year there, we made the playoffs. I think we were 7-4. and four. We won We won a playoff game. We lost uh, to Bernie Champion in the second round. Um, and he leaves uh, and does the U of H thing. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of in limbo, man. I'm the OC, and uh, and I'm, I'm not ready to go for the job. Uh, and Cornelius Anthony comes in, and he, he was on our staff as a junior high coach, believe it or not. And he left to Willow Ridge with Coach Laz. Uh, and he comes back. And I only worked with uh, CA, Coach Anthony, for one year. Uh, but, man, you talk about uh, a blessing and, yeah. and helping me get here. Uh, Coach Anthony was fabulous. He, he went to me. And I remember him coming to the field house. Well, what do you think, Longstreet? And I said, well, you tell me. And, and he said, I want to keep the Veer option, but I want to make it multiple as we can. I want you to spread it out some. I want you to come up with some different philosophies. Yeah. So and, and he gave me the reins and he would help for sure. And the other offensive staff would help. Um, but it really gave me the opportunity to expand a little bit um, and see some other versions of football that we tinkered with. And um, and man, we went to the playoffs and went to the second round that year. I only got to coach with him one year because I got this job. And, and I know he stayed at Terry for a few years and now he's at Hightower doing doing great things at Hightower. Uh, Coach Anthony's on my speed dial, as, as Coach Takele is, as Coach Cavallo is. Coach, Coach Cavallo and I talk daily. Um, so just like you said, that foundation and that lineage of coaches to be able to call and lean on is is uh, very important. That's definitely a common theme of, of CA, Coach Anthony. Because uh, I know Nate Schallenberger, my old offensive coordinator, Aldean, he's now the – I believe he's the OC at Hightower, an O-line coach. Okay. He, he really sings the praise of Cornelius Anthony, just like you have. So that's definitely a guy we got to get lined up on the show at some point. Oh man. And you talk about a good time, a big time football player, Coach Cole. Oh, absolutely. Texas yeah. A&M and yep. 
49ers and uh, he was in the CFL. I mean, you, you talk about a, a, a special guy and a great personality. Yes, uh, please get him on. And one, one, just backing up one more step, who, and this is random, I'm getting this a little off topic, but who, who was the team that Clements faced in the state championship that, that we lost to? Uh, we lost to Corpus Christi Carroll. Corpus Christi Carroll, that's right, man. We lost to Corpus Christi Carroll, yep. yep. Okay. Now, now, as we get into your, now your current role, you left Terry in the spring of 2018 for South Houston. You just completed your fifth year here. It's the only head coaching job you've ever interviewed for. So, again, another similarity if you and I. I, I never thought about leaving until – we were getting yeah. hot first and said, hey, it's, it's a good time. See what's out there. Interview for Aldean and got it. Um, talk about your experience coming to Soho. Because, I mean, Soho and Aldean, I think, probably have a lot of similarities. Um, so, I, sure. I think you relate to a lot of, you know, your experience there. Um, but just just describe what it's been like for you. Man, it's uh, – I, I get to come to work every day and, and uh, coach football and manage athletics and coach kids and, and uh, also coach coaches – uh, like I told you earlier with, with my wife and that whole thing, I'm, I'm, I'm living the dream. Uh, yeah. I know I've heard other coaches on your podcast talk about it. It, it starts with your principal. It starts yeah. with the upper administration, not only the principal, but the superintendent, the athletic director we have. Um, I, um, I applied for the job. There was going to be other jobs coming open that I knew I wanted to apply for at the time. So I applied for the Soho job. I didn't hear anything. And I'm, I, I, to be honest, coach, I kind of forgot about it. I applied for it and put in for it, but you know, you never know when dates, it has a closing date, but you never know when they're going to interview unless you're on the inside. And I got a call from a dear friend of mine, uh, Todd Jambroni, uh, the, the, hell, the Rydell rep jam. And, and he said, Hey, I think I'll get an interview at South Houston. And I was like, Whoa. And uh, a day later I got a call to come to South uh, to, to set up my interview. I did. Um, it's baseball season at Terry, so I'm heavy in baseball. So I go interview at South Houston. I, I put my packet together as we all do, right? And, yep, yep. Um, and I go home and I tell Kimmy, I don't know if I did any good, but I felt like I did great. And she said, well, that's all that matters. And I said, I agree. It was my first interview. Um, the day comes with the deadline. I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything. Like 6.30 at night, I get an email from uh Miss Winky, who's our principal, and she says, congratulations, you're a finalist. And whoa, and that takes it to another level, right? And uh, it was a great experience. Uh, I'm glad uh, it's the only job I've interviewed for. I, I'm, uh, I think I learned a lot from it for sure, and I learn a lot here every single day. Um, but uh, South Houston and Terry are, are very similar in their ethnicity and their makeup. I think that's something that kind of uh, pushed me. I know it's what pushed me to apply for the job. We had right, played right. South Houston my last two years at Terry, and I could see they were just like the, the kids I was currently coaching, uh, sometimes undersized, sometimes undermanned, but man will will hit you in the mouth right. and, and yeah. uh, keep hitting you in the mouth for, for as long as they can. Um, so it, it, it has been it's been five years and it seems like it was just yesterday. It seems like it was just yesterday. Uh, my first year, I was blessed my first year with a really special group. I told you about the quarterback that's still playing. Right. We had some great, we had some great athletes on that first team. Uh, and, and over my shoulder here is my first ball from my game. Kimmy just got me that for Christmas. I had the old game ball in here, and she took it and got it painted and things like that. Um, my first year, we're seven and three, seven and three, and we don't make the playoffs. Uh, maybe six and four. We're six and four. We don't make the playoffs. We lose the Doby. Um, and it was tough, Coach Cova. We we had uh, this is a we're in with a Tascasita and Kingwood, Barry Campbell, Kingwood, and you know uh, we start off five and zero, oh, and and Patrick Longstreet is the 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 best, right? And 
And then we play Kingwood, who they had lost to two years in a row in the playoffs, and we lose to, to Coach Campbell 14-7, to 7, I think. Good ball game, we lose. Then we play a Tacito who was on a different level yeah. than, than everybody at the time. Um, so we get down to the end, and we're playing Doby, and we got to win the game. The winner gets in, and, and we're up, and we're up by 14 in the fourth quarter, and it looks like the Trojans and Coach Longstreet are going to the playoffs in his first year, and we lose the game. And uh, it was a smack in the face to me because I felt like it was my fault. We, uh, we weren't ready for a surprise onside kick. I should have called a timeout. I didn't. Um, and then by the time they, they got the lead, we weren't ready to, we weren't, our kids weren't ready to recover. And I, I felt like that was my fault. Um, and it, it hit me in the face, man. It did. And everything was, was peaches and cream up until then. Right. And I get that first like reality check, like, again, it's tough. It's tough to make the playoffs. Um, but we still had a positive year. And then we rebound that my next two years, uh, we lose a lot of those kids and we have to rebuild. And I, I think my second year, we won two games and my third year, we won three games. Um, and then the last two years, we've been blessed with some really good kids again. And I, I can tell you, my coaches have grinded. Uh, we've been in the playoffs the last two years and um, it's special. That's why I say don't don't take it for granted. You know, I, I wish I wish we could be back at the at the Lamarck high school days where I'm playing for state championships or even the Clements baseball where we're, where we're in a state tournament. Uh, but it's tough. You can't take it for granted. And uh, I haven't, you know, one thing I think a lot of us coaches would like to clinic or listen to successes, right? We talk about the successes of our peers and try to emulate those, but I, I like talking about the failures. I think right. there's much to learn. And like you said, right there, you beat yourself up for not being ready for the surprise onside. I always tell a similar story playing Stratford one year and I coached up my linebackers to fit, the ISO play a certain way and we just couldn't get it in the game we couldn't get it fixed in time but the thing was the players were doing exactly as they were coached and I you know I felt right. like I went right off a cliff right just wasn't the right, right. best way to play it they couldn't make the adjustments and you know I, I stewed on that all off season my good friend Bill Gary one night we're at our summer retreat I had a little too much to drink and I I stayed up all night just you know bashing talking about it yeah talking about it he was my great therapist so thank you Bill Gary but you know I just I understand that feeling but yeah I guarantee the next year, and I and I joke with Elliot Allen about this, you know, our the old Stratford coach, and now he's an AD, you know. But the next year, we stuffed him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were, we definitely made that our priority to fit everything correctly, so we got better. Yeah. Do you, no, it, it was uh, failure? yeah. Did you get better from that experience? You feel like? Or? Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. It, it, but it didn't come immediately, coach. It, it's yeah. uh, it, it was a couple of years, like I said, where we, you know, went from some really talented players, and we we didn't have as many, and, and we were breaking in a new quarterback and you know, new running back and things like that. So we were in a lot of games. We're still in a tough district with Tacita and Kingwood and those guys, um, Umble and those guys. So we're still in a tough district. So we're taking our lumps, um, but we were planting the seeds. We were planting the seeds to make it grow. Um, and um, I think the last two years here at South Houston, those those flowers have grown and those those yeah. those plants are growing. Uh, and, and now the job is to, keep them growing, right? To keep them growing and, and keep watering and keep feeding them uh, to where you can get better every year. And coach, you know, at the end of the season, I got a couple of young coaches, you know, asking me about resumes and interviews and things of that nature, creating a packet. You, you mentioned you created your packet. You and yeah. I might be the best to give advice because you and I have only interviewed once, but we've also sat in the chairs. So I think we've learned things about what admins are looking for. So for any young coach listening to the podcast, what advice would you give when you get that question of, how should I create my packet? What should I include in my presentation? You know, what, what advice would do you give? So you got to be organized, right? That's number one. And 
And I can be honest with you that I can't tell you, you know, if you're interviewing a basketball coach or a volleyball coach or a football assistant, you come in with a resume, with a packet. Uh, the coaches don't keep those things for years after you're done, right? And sometimes they do get put in a pile, but you got to be prepared and you got to be ready. Uh, and you got to know what's in there. You know, I, I, I took pride in knowing that for me, I did have a packet, but I didn't want to spend time looking through that packet. For an example, I had to know what was in there. Right. And if you reference this page, this is where it, it, I have a picture of this. Or, so you, you got to be organized. Uh, you, it, it's, it's communication. It's communication. It's relationships. Um, you know, you're not going to get every answer correct. You know, and, and, and head coach interviews, those things are shooting, right? 10 questions, 12 questions. You're not going to get them all correct. So don't get stumbled and caught up on one that you might not know. And, and don't be afraid to say, I haven't experienced that yet. But when I do experience, this is how I think I'll handle it. You know, instead of saying, oh, I, I dealt with it. You don't have to have a, a story or an experience for every single question. Um, but don't be afraid to say I haven't done that yet. And when I do cross that bridge, I'll see where it takes me. Or when I cross that bridge, I'll be coming to my athletic coordinator or my principal or other people to help me uh, in that experience because it's going to be new to me. Because you, you and I. Yeah, go ahead, Coach. I'm sorry. You and I, the same place, like we walked into this door and, and we had great head coaches and great mentors, um, but they're gone when you get in here. <laughs> right. You know, you can call them, you can call them, but they're gone when that first coach comes in and he's mad because uh, he got a bad observation or, or a kid quit on him or, or something like that. You know, they're gone and you got to, you got to learn on the fly. How important is scheme? in these interviews, like your scheme that you run as an offensive, you know, I'm assuming you're probably an offensive or defensive coordinator applying for a head job. How important is right. scheme in these interviews? So I can tell you not a lot. I've only been on this one. And I, I did have to talk about my second interview here at South Houston was philosophy. It wasn't scheme. It was offensive, defensive right. philosophy, right, 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 but it wasn't scheme, but it was more of, you know, for me, it was, we're going to play fast, physical, relentless football. Uh, this is what we're going to base out of but we want to be multiple, you know, we want to be able to do different things. I'm a big believer in if you're, if your kids do not fit your scheme, change your scheme. Yeah. You know, you might be a four down guy on defense, but if your kids don't fit it, you better be a three down guy. You know, you might be a guy who wants to, to throw it or run it or whatever it is. But if you, if your kids don't fit that, you better come up with something else because you can't change your kids. Right. This is not a uh, college or, or the NFL where you can get guys out of the portal or in or, or free agents like it doesn't work like that. Your kids are your kids. Um, so, yeah, you got to have your core philosophies and this is what we want to lean on. But if you're not leaning on it, you better change it. And I, I can tell you, my guys, I have now my offensive coordinator is great at that. We want to be a heavy uh, outside zone team and we want to do a lot of play action and we want to we want to run. Uh, GT a little bit and we want to run inside zone a little bit but when it doesn't work and we find something that works we stick with it uh, outside zones use our number one play but every year I've been here our second play has been a different play because he finds what works best for the kids um we were four down we were four two five uh my first three years here and then uh going into the, the first year we made the playoffs two years ago uh, we lose two linemen one in camp and one guy uh, decides not to play anymore so we go from having Six defensive linemen, which is not enough in a four-two-five. You need you need eight. We got six, and now we got four. And so we're looking at what do we do? So we went to the three-three stack, which is a defense that I was familiar with at Terry, and we still yes. run. It's been it's been great for us. Right. And you know, if two years from now we get more big bodies and not so many linebacker type guys, we might go back. But 
Uh, I'm a big believer. I think it's important that you you do have a scheme and you have thoughts of what you would prefer to do, but you also have to be able to change. And I'll never forget uh, superintendent here when I interviewed the last round with superintendent, I was asked that question. Are you a coach that adapts to your players or do you make your players adapt to you? And I, it was easy for me to say, no, you got to adapt to your players. That's definitely the answer for anyone listening. That's the answer. Yeah, <laughs> definitely the answer. Definitely the answer for sure. Well, you know, the reason I asked though, coach, I think as, as coordinators, we're so used to clinicking and thinking about the, the our scheme. And I think we, and maybe in interviews, I've had a couple young coaches that I think they want to show off their knowledge of their scheme, but you and I both sat in that chair. We, I think the thing that I want to impress on coaches is really to do the job of campus athletic coordinator, which is a huge part of, most campuses are set up this way where the head football coach is also the campus athletic right. coordinator. Right. There's so much more that my eyes are open to once I got to Aldine about what we really do at, you know, oh. in, in that role. And so it's not that scheme's not important, but I, I kind of feel, this is me personally, I feel like most people that have gotten to this point, they know their scheme. They know their X's and O's. They know how to right. be sound. There are so many other things that they need to have strengths. So, to great. So, so what, what are your thoughts on that? I got a couple that, that, you know, there's a whiteboard above me that that whiteboard is, is great. And you can win the whiteboard, but doesn't mean you're going to win on the field. Right. right. Everybody has a defense to stop a certain play and, and things like that. Um, when you, when you are going from a coordinator or from assistant to a head job, you aren't interviewing to be a football coach. You're interviewing to be an administrator. Number one, right. you know great. what I mean? And you have to be, you have to, want to be and and have a relationship with the principal and the administrative staff that you're their right-hand man you know um i'm blessed here that miss winky my principal knows how important athletics is to the school and to the community and to the kids uh so she backs me 100 and i back her 100 110 um so you're interviewing to be an administrator but you're also interviewing to be other coaches bosses of uh, their boss you know you're not yes i i mean i go to every basketball you had we uh, Frank Watson is my basketball yep. coach. We're four and zero. We're about to play Deer Park. Who's four and zero? We got a big game coming up, um, and I'm going to be in the stands cheering for the Trojans. But I'm also his boss, you know, and, and all those assistant coaches' boss. So you're not. I, I this is what I tell people, and I think this is the best thing. When you're in the field house with coaches, and you're cutting up, and you're laughing, and you're telling stories. Uh, when the head coach walks in the room, sometimes those stories stop. And you have to be ready to not be a part of that conversation. You're the guy walking in the room now. And they stop because especially if they if it's new, like my first two years, it was new. And we had new coaches. They didn't know what stories they could tell in front of me and what stories they couldn't. So right. you have to be ready to kind of leave that little small fraternity there and join a different fraternity. So um, I think my best advice would be you, you are going to be the head football coach, but you're not interviewing to be the football coach. You're interviewing to be an administrator. Excellent advice. You couldn't couldn't have said it better myself. I love the way you put that. Yeah. And I, I think that that's the mind shift we need for these young coaches to get those jobs is to come in there understanding that that clear distinction. Yeah. So that's really excellent, yeah. Patrick. Sure. All right. Now this part here, I started this podcast because coaches are my heroes growing up. I've talked about some things going on at home that I was trying to escape from. And the coaches like coach like a Waddell that remembers right. all these years later. I got that with Coach Kitterman. And I still right. love him. He's the offensive coordinator at Sci Falls. And I just it was, I have a funny story about Coach Kidman I want to share. I was calling one of his games for Texan Live, and they're in a dogfight, Coach. I mean, it is like tied at halftime, and I, he, he's in the press box with me, and he's coming up after halftime. You can tell he's, he's the way that I always remembered him. His eyes are red, bloodshot, because he's just coaching so hard, and he's so passionate and emotional. He's in the middle of this game, and he's trying to go to the restroom. And I'm walking, I have him walking in the hallway. He stops, and he, he re instantly recognizes me, give me a big hug, and he says, Kobe, so good to see you, man. 
how's, how's your family doing? How's your little baby boy? Yeah. And I mean, that really struck me because he's in the middle of this dog fight where he's just trying to win this big game to go to the playoffs. And instantly all he can think about is like my family. And right. I, I played for him in 2001, you know, right. 20 years ago. And I mean, those kinds of relations, that's why coaches are so important. And so now Absolutely. that I'm, I'm out of it, I still love it though. I work a day job selling scoreboards for Dactronics, but I mean, I'm always broadcasting games or I'm podcasting because I want to tell these stories. Right. It makes me nervous when people try to scale back on athletics. I know there are a lot of people that think it's, it's overblown in Texas, but I think it's great to help right. young men and women, you know, escape bad things like I experienced. The coaches are important. So that's why I do it. But now that I'm off the sidelines and I'm in the stands broadcasting, I can hear more of the things that are going on. So probably the kind of stuff that Kimmy may have to listen to when she's sitting in the stands at a yeah. football game, whether it's directed bad stuff towards coaches or bad stuff towards officials. And I just, I hate that. I was, I was broadcasting a basketball game recently. Um, and I heard some just parents that were just so nasty, constant, constant barrage of, of insulting coaches or players, or even players, or players on this floor officials. I mean, it was just awful. So for parents like that, and I hope the parents listen to this show, I understand now as a parent, you love your kid. You think you're, you think by doing that kind of stuff, you're, you're just trying to protect your kid and do what's best for your kid. But I think that, that, I think that in the end, that kind of behavior is negative for the kid. I know you got two boys, uh, you know, you got Easton and you got Grayson who you told me with Kobo, he's hell on wheels. And mm -hmm. I, now that I have a son that's like rolling around and being all crazy, I'm yeah. like, oh, hell on wheels in my hand too. But yeah, you're a parent, you deal with parents. What advice can you give to, you know, when you see negative behavior, if you're a parent, you feel like, man, maybe sometimes I am getting too angry at these games. Like what, what advice can you give to parents to help give their kids the best possible athletic experience? So I, you know, I think that I don't ever try to blame parents or get mad at parents too much. Right. Because, uh, they are the parents, right? They are yep. the parents and, and it, it's, it's their kid that they're ultimately looking out for. I, I think the, the parents have to sometimes do a better job of trusting the high school coaches. We are in Texas. We are not in another state where a guy can uh, sell houses or, or work at a different place and then come coach your kids after school. Like these coaches uh, grind for your kids. Um, not only are they the coach on the field that you want to yell at and, and the coaches can take it, right? We can take it as coaches. Um, but they're helping your kid get to class on time. They're helping uh, your kid pass your classes. They're helping them if they need to get somewhere or or they trying to go to a camp or something like that. They they help these these kids do that. So I think in the intense moments of the game, parents lose sight of that. So I never try to hold it over their head too much. I, I do deal with those phone calls uh, from from the different parents, either from parents of during football season about why certain kids aren't playing or why you're doing this or. Or even, you know, you answer those calls during basketball season and during volleyball season and, and right. things like that. But I, I think to know that what it all takes to be a coach in Texas, CHSCA does a great job. You have to, it's not something you can just wake up and say, I want to coach. Like the training, the hours that are put in are endless. And these coaches go through this. And uh, I'm not saying all coaches are perfect, but 99.9% .9 of coaches have your kids' best interests at heart. And even if you don't see it that way during the game, my, I love and, and we try to abide by this at all at all events. You, you got to have the 24 hour rule. Right. Don't don't talk to a coach 24 until give them 24 hours to process the game. Give them 24 hours to process the win or the loss um, and go from there. And but it's it's different. Coach is tough because 
um, some parents aren't happy if the team's winning. It's it's my son's not playing enough. You right. know what I mean? They're not happy with the team win and, and things like that. But I will tell you, uh, like I tell the kids, the same thing we talked about kind of with the big schools and the small schools, the ball will stop for all of them. All of them are not going to play football forever or basketball or baseball. They will stop. But what they learn in these high school programs are going to be what make them successful uh, as adults. There's no doubt that I'm a coach, but if I wasn't a coach and, or if I stepped away or, or did something else, the things I learned at Lamarck High School football uh, are going to carry me through that job whatever that job is, you know what I mean? Being accountable, being dependable, uh, showing up on time, working hard, being part of the team, letting your teammates rely on you. Those are the things that matter. It doesn't matter who scores the touchdowns in the end. It doesn't matter. I know it's, it's nice and everybody likes it, especially in today's age with the social media and all that stuff. And, but in the end, it's the core, right? It's the core. And I, I would go back to our coaches have that core because if not, they wouldn't be coaches in Texas. You know, we are in a special state when it comes to athletics. We're in a special place. And just trust, you know, we always say as coaches to the kids, trust the process, right? Trust the process, trust the process. The parents, trust the process, trust the process. And in the end, these coaches, whether it's at South Houston or or Aldine, like you mentioned, or, or Clements High School, these coaches will make your young men and young ladies better people. You know, one thing you brought up to me, you mentioned when, the situation where the team is winning, but you have a player or a parent, you know, that that's upset after that. And that happens to all of us. And it, honestly, it, it's a big gut punch. Like I, I've had that experience. My brother is a, is a defensive coordinator in Oklahoma. We both had experiences for them. They, they went to the third round of the playoffs this year, longest and like, longest run in, in recent school history, at least they're celebrating this big close win. And after the game, as you know, the kids are walking out of the, the locker room, there's one player that, that, that comes up to complain about playing time. Yeah. It's gut punch. I remember the, the I always talk about my my favorite my most proud win of my entire career was a year that we went two and eight at Albany my first year but we beat a playoff team we beat Nimitz in the rain we we uh, Andrew Davis my star safety got an interception in the end zone to steal the victory when they were about to beat us and we did it we beat a playoff team as a two and eight team we're all I I, I was real I was a real energetic guys so I brought the I brought the stereo on the bus and we're playing music and everybody's you know having a good time the the player seated right behind me is sitting there pouting. You know, we're all singing and dancing. He's just there pouting, you know, with his head down. And it's just like, that's just such a gut punch whenever, you know, you, you grew up because you were, you're happy to be a part of the team at Lamar. Right. You love right. that. You didn't care if you played or not. And so as coaches, the way that we're wired to be so team oriented, when you do have, you know, a certain player or parent step out of line, and I think it's hard for us to compute because we're not wired that way. Right. So how do you handle those situations where you're just coming off a big win and you have to deal immediately you get punched in the face of like a parent or a player complaining about playing time or just being down in general. So I think with the player, you, you got to revert it back to whatever your, your values or your core values are in the program. You know, for us, we always talk about character and attitude, character yeah. and attitude. So it's easy to revert that back to it. You know what I mean? Um, we know every kid wants to play. Every kid wants to play, but it's, it's not, this is high school football. Not every kid gets to play. Not every kid gets to play a certain amount of snaps, snaps as everybody else. So for the player, I think you go back to those core values and, and I'll, I'll give them the 24 hours to be a little pouty or whatever, you know, kind of right. when yeah. you come back on Monday, let's get ready to go back to work because you never know. And how many stories do all of us have about a kid that was pouty or mopey. Um, and then at the end of the season, they're playing because somebody got hurt. 
And in the biggest moments, they in the biggest moments they get a chance to either make that play or don't make that play. And I think how they respond throughout the season is going to be the determining factor on whether they make that play or not. It's going to be the determining factor to to give them potentially success. And it doesn't mean that everybody's going to get that opportunity, but this is football. We have injuries. We have things that happen. So eventually everybody's going to get a chance to contribute. And and what do you do when you get that opportunity? So for the players, it, it reverts back to those core values uh, for sure. To the parents, I, I, I try to be as honest with them as possible. We are getting paid to coach football. We are not getting, we're getting paid to be competitive in football, to teach these young men certain lessons. We do not get paid by how many players play and how many situations they play in. And I, I try to relate it back to their job. If you're a chef or if you're a, a, a fireman or a policeman or, you know, and, and, and try to relate it back, what would you do in this situation? You're going to have a team around you that gives you the best chance to be successful. That's all we're doing. It's not a it's not a slap in the face. And and I might be there with my boys one day, right? I might be uh uh I hope I'm retired by the time my boys are are playing high school football. I, I hope to, but I might have that realization that hey, they're not the best. And it's okay. It's okay because I know uh they're gonna be in something, some kind of program, some kind of team that's gonna help them become a better individual. Love it. I, I love your advice about give the players 24 hours to i think back yeah. like let, i just got so uh, i was like what why are you pouting right now but really i should have understood give him 24 hours but if he yeah. comes this week and he's moping at practice we need to be yeah, yeah. now and now, now we, we got we got to have you a conversation brother Ryan, i'm gonna give him a call and give him that same advice to deal with <laughs> but uh awesome yeah no, no, man i i love that. that that's that's excellent advice and you know just kind of looking back at, at your career some famous guys that you coach against, Nick Foles and Brandon Swope at Westlake. So some really high-level guys. And C.D. Land yeah. Foster. So I share that, too. We also well, we play Foster in the playoffs when we're at Ridgepoint. And he was something else. We escaped C.D. scored six touchdowns on us his senior year at Foster, Coach. It was it, He was special. He was special for sure. Yeah. And then also you've coached two major leaguers. And Will yeah. Vesson, I knew from Ridgepoint. I knew him at Clements, too, but really got to know him more. Right. He's a great guy. Played some football for us. I didn't know John King quite as well i remember him but i didn't didn't really get to know him quite as well but what's it like man i remember when will came to the minute maid a bunch of us went out there to go watch the game right uh, right and so what what was it like did i guess at the time did, did you see professional no, baseball players no, or not at all man not at all so so th those guys were on my freshman baseball team at clements uh my first year and we had uh kevin bass's son we had the X-Man. We had the X-Man son that played for the Astros. So we had some major league sons. And, and those are the guys that said, oh, these guys are going to go on. And those were all great kids and great families and great players. Uh, John King was a little lefty pitcher that threw strikes but didn't throw very hard. Will Vest was about two feet tall. Four feet well, tall. was a late bloomer. Absolutely. Yeah, played, played second base for us. Both kids played football for us at Clements. Uh, and then kind of in my second year at, at Clements, when I went up to the JV, John King was my JV quarterback. Um, and he was tough, man. He was tough for sure. So um, it was just great to to be able to see those guys. You know, I lose track of them for a while, and then I look up, and they're in the majors. And it's like, holy smokes. Yeah, I mean, I just think back to Will Vest. He he was one of those guys, like, even because you said he was very late bloomer. But you could tell he's one of those guys, like, his legs were, like, twice as long as his torso. And he had, like, yeah. I knew he was going to grow, but he's one of those guys that was just a gamer. He was and just, he didn't even, uh, uh, Will's, 
Yeah. Will's a pitcher now, right? He didn't even pitch. Hey, he he might have pitched at Ridge Point when he got when he got up there with you guys, but uh, at Clemens, I think he's in college. I, I, yeah. From what I heard, he had a Tom Tommy John. I don't know. Some some injury derailed him, and then he came back as a pitcher. Yeah, and uh, and you know, we talked about Easy earlier, and uh, Easy's funeral. I got to see most of those guys, and yeah, uh, especially John. I got to talk to John and, and spend a few minutes with him, and uh, man, it was great. I, I remember. I'll never forget. Uh, Correjo and I come up with this two minute offense at Clements and John's the quarterback and you know, we're, we're high formation, uh, basically, but wing T right. And we're running toss and lead and, and we had, you know, I, I think coach Knowles always said the toss was the bread and butter. So yeah, if John bread said butter. bread, if John said bread, we were running toss to the right. And if John said butter, we were running toss to the left. And yeah. we had like three passing plays and three running plays and John would just call it. He, he didn't even look at me or Correjo. He would just call it and we'd go down the field on people. Um, and that's just, so he definitely had competitive spirit. He definitely had fire in him. Um, and, and I think he went to a junior college after Clements and, and did really well at the junior college and ended up going to U of H and, uh, and now pitching for the Rangers. And, uh, the only time I don't root for him is when the Rangers are playing the Astros. And, and even if he's pitching in that game, if he's pitching and the Astros are up, I'm like, all right, let's have a good inning, John. Let's no, no, no runs allowed here. Exactly. Well, the Astros can score on the next pitcher. <laughs> Yeah, it's right. I mean, those guys that become professional athletes like Will and John, they just have like an it factor of just they're just they know the game. It's natural to them. Like yeah. I said, it was Will, even though he, he he couldn't really and the football side of it, he was always kind of like our B team style quarterback because he was just so good. But he's had his body hadn't caught up yet, and I, I just knew yeah. looking at him like this kid is going to really blow up once he you know catches yeah, up. Both of them, both of them, special yeah. man, special for sure. All right, coach, we're down, down. So let's talk about your favorite teams. You're a Houston guy all the way. Astros, Rockets, Texans. Growing up, it was Nolan Ryan, Craig Biggio, Jeff Bagwell, Hakeem, Clyde the Glide, Big Shot Rob Ori, and then Andre Johnson and Arian Foster. So you're a Houston guy. It makes it nice and simple. Like I said, I wore the Rockets for you today because we yes, seen <laughs> back in our younger days. But let's talk about your start bench cut. So now I just want to put you on the hot seat a little bit. And we always love this part. Let's start with Stroh's edition. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go uh, in the infield here. Start one, bench one, cut one. Bagwell, Biggio, Altuve. So I got two of your your childhood heroes growing up. <laughs> and I would say is the engine of our team now. Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, Jose Altuve. Man, not only that, you, you talk about probably the three greatest Astros right there as far as longevity and in their careers. You talk about the three greatest Astros. I actually got to coach a game with Easy against Craig Biggio when he was at St. Thomas. Um, <laughs> So I, I'm, I'm, uh, I love my past and I'm, I'm at heart, I'm a history guy, but, uh, I gotta go, I'm going to start out too, babe, because, um, you know, Bijo and Bagwell got us there a couple of times or one time at the world series and had some great years, but Altuve brought a world series, man. And, and the right. city of Houston went nuts and he still continues to do it and all the stuff that they've been through and he continues to go yeah. through. So I, I'm going to start out too, babe. I'm going to bench Bagwell, uh, Bagwell was just different. The stance, the yeah. goatee, the little wristband he wore that had when he got hit on his hand. He yeah. would he just did things different. Uh, and the power. Uh, there was a year that that they went on strike that Ash, that Bagwell would have won the MVP if they wouldn't have gone on strike. Yeah. Um, and he, he was playing in the Astrodome at the time, which was a huge part. Yeah. And unfortunately, that means I got to cut Biggio. Uh, man, you talk about a catcher at a second base, to center field, back yeah. to second base. 3,000 hits. How do you bench a guy with 3,000 hits? But for me, Bagwell was just special because of he looked different than everybody else. 
And, and Altuve is just Altuve, man. I think when it's all said and done, he'll be the greatest Astro ever. I love it, man. And it's your starting lineup, you know. And I mean, <laughs> but ways. I want them all on my team, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and it's like kind of like the LeBron versus Jordan argument that I hear a lot of times. Like LeBron's longevity is right. a big factor. Now his numbers are, can can kind of trump Michael's. But I mean, I feel like you feel like Bagwell kind of had a little bit of that Jordan where he just was different. You know, maybe he didn't do it quite as long as Craig, but yeah. No, I, I hear you, man. I think I think that's totally fair. Let's go to the let's go to the mound. This is this is your expertise here, the ace edition. Right. You mentioned Nolan Ryan already, but I'm going to add in Roy Oswalt, and then you know, unfortunately, he's no longer an Astro, but Justin Verlander was here for some very memorable moments. So let's start one, bench one, cut one. Nolan Ryan, Roy Oswalt, Justin Verlander. So I'm going to start Nolan Ryan. I just watched the Nolan Ryan uh, documentary a couple of weeks ago and learned some stuff that I didn't even know about Nolan Ryan. Um, and uh, you you can't have Nolan Ryan pitch for you not starting because he, he could pitch the whole dang game, nine innings, and, and he's got seven no hitters. So you, you you got a great chance to win the game, all the strikeouts. So I'm going to start Nolan Ryan. I, I'm probably going to bench Roy Oswald, Roy O. Uh, at the time that the Astros were just coming along and and at the end of the Astrodome era into the new park, um, you know, when we did get to the World Series, it was Roy Oswald. Again, a little bit different bulldog mentality, man. Didn't say a whole lot. Didn't, wasn't, if you saw Roy Oswald walking down the street, you or I wouldn't know who it was probably even today, like, but just a grinder. And, and I'm going to cut JV, Justin Verlander. Um, very thankful for him coming to Houston. I think it helped spark the Astros. But um, in the end, I think it's a longevity thing. You know, if, if he would have just signed that last contract with us, that that that, that, uh, <laughs> that starch bench cut might have been different. <laughs> All right, let's go to Clutch City Big Man Edition. Hakeem the Dream, Yao Ming. That was a, I'm a big Yao fan. That was a fun period of Rockets basketball. And then Dwight Howard. So the three Rockets big men. Elijah this, this, this one's easy, man. Elijah Wan, for sure, you're starting. Yeah. They just what they do, just rename the defensive MVP award yeah, or something yeah, after yeah. Elijah Wan. Come on, man. Uh, greatest, greatest performance series ever when the Rockets beat the Spurs. Elijah Wan yeah, versus yeah. Robinson. Robinson was the MVP and he dominated. I still would have loved to seen our Rockets teams against Jordan. That's when Jordan was retired. I think we would have got him one of those times. Um, so Elijah Wan's the starter. The bench is Yao. I love Yao. I loved Yao and T-Mac and the pick and roll. And Yao could shoot it, man. He could put his back to the basket. Unfortunately, injuries uh, yeah. cost him. And, and Dwight might have played with the Rockets longer than Yao, but I just think the impact on the Rockets uh, wasn't big enough. So I'm going to I'm gonna cut uh, Dwight. Okay. And I, I've posed this a couple times, and it's always the same. But this is an easy one. Everybody always goes Elijah Wan, Yao, Dwight. No, no one has picked <laughs> Dwight yet to surpass uh, Yao. Nobody's ever going to pick anybody to surpass Akeem, I'm pretty sure. Sure. <laughs> let's go to let's go to more of a, a backcourt edition. You know, Robert Ory, maybe he's a forward, but we're we're doing non-centers here. So we're gonna go Clyde the Glide, big shot Robert Ory, and James Harden. Start bench cut. Clyde the Glide, Drexler, Robert Ory, and James Harden. So I, I when you talk about basketball history, Glide and, and Harden gotta be up there. But as a Houstonian, as a Rocket guy, I, I'm starting Robert Ory. Okay, um, love it. Wow. Okay. I'm starting Robert Ori. In those days that we had Elijah on, what was it? It was dumping down to Elijah on and he'd kick it out to Ori or Cassell or Kenny Smith. Yeah. And 
Uh, this is where he got his start, man. This is where he really became big shot, Rob. And he was making shots for the Rockets. He just wasn't as famous as he was when he played for the Spurs or the Lakers. But he he started here. So I'm starting Ori. I'm going to bench. I'm going to bench Harden. Uh, I'm appreciative of what Harden did for Houston basketball. We were so close, man. We were so close. And the Warriors stopped us. You know, we don't know what it would have been if Jordan would have been playing, if we would have got over that hump. You know, so without the Warriors – you know, I heard somebody say the other day, you put those Harden Rockets teams in, in today, right now in the NBA, and they would be the number one team. Um, so uh, I'm appreciative for what Harden did. I know his path has taken him a different way. I'm going to cut Clyde. I know Clyde's a Hall of Famer. Clyde is a Houston Cougar, right? Five slam jamma. So that definitely uh, is tough to cut him. But I, I think Clyde spent his best years in Portland. Um, and he came fair. to us later in his in his career. And he's a native Houstonian of uh, Sterling High School at HISD. Yeah, yeah, uh, HISD Sterling. And, and for that, he, he could be a starter and, and a bench player and, and all that for sure. I'm sure he's on the all-whatever-decade team and stuff like that, and Ori isn't. But just kind of getting Houston basketball to where uh, the teams that I watch, I, I'm Ori and, and, and Harden. I hear you, man. All right, last, a Bulls-on parade edition for your Houston Texans. Start one, bench one, cut one. <laughs> A little bit different positions, but we're just in general, their impact on the program. Andre Johnson, DeAndre Hopkins, and Arian Foster. These are three of our best skill position players ever. What, what do you think here? Man, those are the three best for sure. Um, Andre's the starter, man. I, yeah. I just I think he's been fixing to go into the Hall of Fame, isn't he? Uh, yeah. I know he had a little stint with Tennessee there for like a year after he left us. Um, but I think if he could have finished his year here, his career here in Houston, he would have. And I think he works with the team now, uh, just unstoppable. And you look at his numbers without a quarterback, you know, you look at his numbers without a, a hall of fame or even a pro bowl quarterback. And yeah. it's just phenomenal at a time that you're talking about from the early days when we were, weren't very good to really taking us to the peak of where the Texans have been. So I'm going to start him. I'm going to bench D hop. Um, uh, man, still one of the best in the game. If, if you've got a ball to throw for one time, for one catch, uh, I don't know who else. I'm sure Jerry Rice and things like that, but DeAndre Hopkins has got to be up there. Those hands are unbelievable. Oh. Unbelievable. Uh, so that means I got to cut Arian. Uh, again, at that peak with Andre when the Texans were really rolling and Matt Child was quarterback and Gary Kubiak, Andre was that slasher, right? He was that running back. Um but like a lot of running backs in the NFL, just longevity, right? Didn't didn't uh, play forever just because of injuries and things like that. But uh, sneaky how good he was, though. Sneaky how good he was. I don't think he gets the um, the praise or the the hype on how really good he was. I think he had two or three seasons there that were uh, phenomenal, to say the least. And I didn't do a defensive addition, but of course, you know, J.J. Watt, I'm sure, would be your, your start on the defensive side. And I actually saw him at the H-E-B in Shadow Creek Ranch one time. So, oh, was, wow. I don't know if I ever told you that, but I saw him. No. So, uh, yeah, he was there with, like, his personal trainer or whatever was, was his assistant. But uh, yeah. I can only say, because I've met – I didn't meet him. I didn't – I let him go. I didn't want to, you know, bombard him and get him, you know, people coming up to him. But um, I've come up close and personal running into uh, J.J. Watt um, and Adrian Peterson. I've met, yeah. I've walked right up to those guys, just kind of right. and the thing I've noticed about them, they're not as like, I don't know, this may sound weird. They're not as like muscle bound as I guess I would have thought. They're more like lean because they're just so athletic. 
I think right. they're more like a long, lean kind of body style. And probably also they're the type, they're such great athletes. They can like trim and cut and then bulk back up whenever they, they can probably go back and forth. Whenever sure. they want. So maybe I caught them in lean phases, but that's hey, what I, I know. I think this is more of a baseball deal, but you know, sometimes when players retire, they sign those one day contracts with the team just so they can retire with yeah. their team and, the Texans, I don't know if they could, but if they could sign J.J. Watt and let him, quote, unquote, officially retire a Texan, he, he's a Hall of Famer. And and for him, all the, you know, Hurricane Harvey and all, it just takes him to a, a different level for sure. But you don't see too many guys in, in today's day and age that stay out of the headlines, stay out of the media. They they do it the right way and they just they just take care of their business. So, uh like I said about Altuve, I think when it's over, Altuve will be the greatest Astro ever. I, I don't know if anybody in for the Texans will ever surpass uh, what J.J. did. And I'm just curious, Coach, do you have an opinion on the head coaching search? Is, is, there, is it D'Amico Ryans and other Texans? Great. You know, I mean, that, that you're, but what, what, do you have a thought on that one? Man, I, I, would, I would be ecstatic with D'Amico. I would be ecstatic right. with D'Amico just because he's a Texan for sure. Um, I, I just think they need to go young, man. They need to, and D'Amico's young. I think they yeah. need to go young. If the, if they, if the plan is to draft a quarterback, which I, I think it should be, they need to go young and, and get a young guy, uh, to work with the quarterback and, and get him there. But I will say like, you see, I mean, there's a lot of young coaches. NFL's kind of going away from the older, more stoic type coaches. And you got the Dan Campbell's of the world and, yeah. and those type guys. And, and that are young and energetic, like you said. I mean, you look on the sideline now, and coaches are wearing joggers with pullovers, and you know they got that swag to them, kind of like you, we talked about uh, Bobby D and and those guys. <laughs> um, but I just think they need to go young and, and get somebody that they know is 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 going to work with that quarterback. So I don't think it necessarily has to be an offensive guy, but if D'Amico gets it, let's get a young offensive coordinator to work with whatever quarterback we get, and 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 bring them back to. Uh, a little bit of uh, fighting for the playoffs. I agree. And for that reason, that's why I think my guy, Jim Harbaugh of my beloved Michigan Wolverines, that's why oh, I, think yeah. he, I think he's not going to receive an offer. I just, I don't think NFL, I think his time has passed in the NFL. Um, you know, cause I agree. Man, with you, you, more you, can't younger. With, you can't go wrong with Harbaugh though, man. I mean, yeah. he's not like, I, I you know, I, I heard that Jim Caldwell got an interview and things like that. Harbaugh's not that, that old yet you know he you, yeah. you couldn't go wrong with him and his his expertise that I mean look what he did with the 49ers he took a he took exactly. a, a Kaepernick a Kaepernick offense that nobody was running and, and took it to the Super Bowl and you know um and I know I know I thought about you the Michigan game I'm not going to bring it up but I thought about yeah. you yeah. um for sure but uh every year they're there Every year, you know, just the he's gotten it turned around. He certainly has. It took it took longer than people wanted, but you and I know as coaches, it's not that easy to make so up for a, fifteen years of bad. You know? I'm a traditionalist. I'm a. Tra I think it's the history of me. Uh, Michigan, Notre Dame, Penn State, yeah. Texas. Like I love those uniforms. I love the classic, yeah. clean look. Uh, the fight songs from those schools. You know what I mean. So. Uh, I can't say I'm a Michigan fan, um, but uh, I, I like watching Michigan play football, that's for sure. And I guess last thing on the Texans, man, I think whatever they do, they need to get a guy that they want to commit to. The back-to-back -back years of one year and firing coaches that, in my opinion, honestly, were had competitive, hard-fighting teams with bad rosters. It just, it's not a good yeah. look. I'm sure coaches don't love seeing that. Um, so hopefully, I, I agree with you. Maybe D'Amico is a guy that they see a long-term future with. So. Yeah.
it, it's time to it's time to get that that uh, roller coaster going back up. That's for sure. That's right. No, man, coach, this was so much fun. If y'all enjoyed it as much as I did, please, again, give us that five-star rating. It takes literally just a click of a button that drives us up the charts so more people can hear these stories of coaches making a difference, like Coach Longstreet. Hit the follow button and subscribe and hear new episodes as soon as they come out each week. And follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kobo. That's Coach underscore K-O-B-O. You can hit us up at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. We welcome any feedback or any suggestions. We lift up our own here inside the Team Player uh, uh, Nation. So, Give me a suggestion. A lot of my guys are people that I know personally or were suggested to me by, by one of my guests. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr. And our intro and exit music is one more good enough from Avrion. And you may know Dominique Williams. I, I don't know if you were. I know, I know Dominique. I know Dominique. Yeah. He was there. And I remember uh, you talking about Kaiser St. Cyr when we lived together. And he That's was right. I would go pick up Kaiser St. Cyr. I know both of those guys for sure. That, that, that makes me smile every time you announce that on the, on the uh, show. Kaiser used to come over to the house and beat Coach Ruthard in Skyrim on the NBA. <laughs> but anyhow, yeah, one more good enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Coach Longstreet, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it, man. It's been a blast. And uh, all those stories and things like that, it's been a blast. Hopefully uh, somebody can get something. And I look forward to, to listening to, uh, to the other shows coming soon for sure. Sounds good. Thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support. And we'll catch y'all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy 